How's the little poppy seed doing? <laughs> Pregnancy hormones, am I right? My stomach has turned green and scaly. <laughs> oh, no. I don't think that's supposed to happen. On the inside, maybe. Well, I don't know. You were telling me everything that's going to happen. I thought you were ready for this more than I was with your excitement and your laughter. Oh, that's what Stella meant when she said, how's your tummy? I was like, oh, Donovan must have not have been feeling well today. Like that one time on the Gotham April Fool's episode. Like, <laughs> I thought no. you were legitimately sick. <laughs> no. <laughs> Luckily, I'm not. It's all just make-believe. <laughs> As I call what do you mean, make-believe? I was there. Stella was there. Yeah, we both were there. We know that you now have a Dilophosaurus gestating in your tum-tum. Uh. I tell some people at school, but they don't understand. You do not. <laughs> <laughs> they don't understand. How does that uh, even come up in a conversation? I don't. It doesn't really. I force it. And if you don't like, do your homework, you're going to end up just like Donovan Morgan Grant, <laughs> impregnated by a dinosaur. Well, I I told Gerard, and he said, you guys are sick even for me. And then, like, Stella posted posted that thing online, and Zach's like, if this is a joke, it's not funny. And we're like, I was like, I could agree with you more. (laughs) That is what I thought, Harry. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers. And librarian. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaking. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition. No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusader. <laughs> It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls.
Zelate. I'm your host, Stella, and this is That Girl the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 150, but that's not big enough for you. This is also the eighth anniversary, part one, for December MMXVII. That Girl the Oracle is brought to you by Bat Book for Beginners. Hi, this is Batman. Whenever I lose my memory, I head over to the BatmanUniverse.net and check out the podcast, Bat Books for Beginners. The Bat Books for Beginners podcast breaks down and analyzes all of my adventures so I can remember how to get to the Batcave, which Robin I'm working with, and where I parked the Batmobile. Chris and Jerry, the hosts of Bat Books for Beginners, are honest about how well I'm serving the citizens of Gotham. Sometimes, too honest, I'll have to talk to them about that. If you wake up one morning and think you might be Batman and have just lost your memories, go over to the BatmanUniverse.net or iTunes and check out Bat Books for Beginners. Now, if I could just figure out who this old man cleaning the Batcave is, that would be great. I asked my friend Scott Snyder and he didn't know. Don't be a supervillain. Visit the BatmanUniverse.net and listen to Bat Books for Beginners, also on iTunes. You'll be glad you did. Bat Books for Beginners is part of the BatmanUniverse.net Bat Family of Podcasts. Don't listen to Bat Books for Beginners when operating heavy machinery or juggling. If you listen to Bat Books for Beginners for more than four hours, call your doctor. Bat Books for Beginners is part of a balanced diet. Backroll the Oracle is also brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out MileHighComics.com. Backworld Oracle is a proud member of the Batman Universe family of podcasts. Hashtag TBU family. Support TBU and, of course, Backworld Oracle and subscribe to the show on Patreon by going to the BatmanUniverse.net. Well, episode 150, I think, is big enough and oddly it just happened to coincide with my anniversary and so there's not necessarily anything too special planned for this one if you're looking forward to like a trivia show or something i think that's what i'll do for the 200th or something else but what is special <laughs> i don't know we'll figure it out fidget spinner of Batgirls, you know no. on the wheel. what is special though is that i get my two uh dearest friends on to both celebrate episode 150 and the eighth anniversary We'll start off with introducing this guy. Uh, we're both godparents to the third person, or grandparents, or parents. <laughs> we share custody of the third guy. I don't so even this know. was going to be on the episode. <laughs> What'd you say? So, so this was going to be mentioned on the episode. <laughs> I was wondering. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Uh, I share custody of Donovan with uh, one of my good friends, Joshua Lathman-Bertoni. We've done a horrible job. <laughs> a horrible job. <laughs> Our child has... Parenting is hard. Yeah, our child's made horrible decisions with questionable people, but, you know, we feel like this new change in his status quo will really turn things around. I think so. And speaking of that status quo, we're we're checking up, and and right now we're close to the four-week 
trial, I guess, or, you know, <laughs> a timeline. And if you check on sort of what size is my baby, now know that the Dilophosaurus inside of Donovan's Tum Tum is in fact the size of a poppy seed. So, if, welcome. If this is the beginning of the show, do people know what we're talking about? Of course not. Um, okay. So this, uh, of course. <laughs> As usual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who cares? So uh, please welcome the proud papa to be or mama to be. Who knows? Donovan Morgan Grant. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what gender you're going to be if you're carrying a child. You know what? I don't either. It's a big uh, part dinosaur baby. The the laws of nature are out the window. <laughs> well, when my Dilophosaurus zygote turns into a, a, a newly born Dilophosaurus child, I'll let it choose its own gender. So sit on that, godparents. <laughs> you're very progressive that way. <laughs> yeah, I'll take yeah, and at the end of the episode, I think Josh and I will give information on the GoFundMe that we're sort of trying to start up. But if you want the, the shimmy, the skinny, on what happened, as a brief refresher, uh, Don and I traveled down to the wilds of Tampa, Florida, in order to spend some time with our good friend Josh. And at one point, we went to Universal Studios, and we had a lovely day. And one of the rides we went on was this water ride. It was called uh, Jurassic Park, I think. And Jurassic Park River Adventure. Riv- yeah. River Adventure, okay. And I'm on the outside, and then it's Josh, and then Don's in the middle, and then I think two strangers. And at one point, we're floating by, and there's a Dilophosaurus there. And you know, as the Dilophosauruses want to do, it sprays um, its chemical mixture, mixture out into the world. <laughs> and unfortunately, Don decided <laughs> at that very moment to have his mouth open. And so, you know, just like the uh, the face hugger and how it impregnates, basically Donovan has been impregnated by the Stilophosaurus spray. And he was coughing, I think, the rest of the weekend, which was really sad. Do- Josh and I were really hurt, you know, feeling for him. But we're, I mean, we're excited about this, what this is going to be, but we're also concerned because we don't want Don to be a single parent. And so we're trying to find a way for him to reunite with the Stilophosaurus. I think you guys want this dinosaur more than I do. <laughs> you need well, to let the dinosaur into your heart as you let it into your stomach. <laughs> well, we want to be godparents or grandparents, depending on what you think. You're not that much older than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if we're the shared shared custody of you, then I don't know what we would Well, when I go off to my shield mission and, and disappear fighting the Red Skull, you guys can raise the dinosaur to be you know, a responsible teenager. Okay. You said yes. I'm just imagining like a Dilophosaurus, but he's dressed as Steve Dicko, Peter Parker, with like horned rim glasses and like a blue, like, you know, uh, formal (laughs) suit. Like, (laughs) it's still said that I I decided to open my mouth when it happened. I don't know that's what happened. (laughs) I was like, the last thing I saw was him like lower its head. I guess that's consent in the in the Jurassic Park world. I don't know. Um, no, I said you just have so happened to have your mouth open. <laughs> if you say, if you say so. I mean, like you guys were too busy laughing when I was like surprised well, I, and coughing. Yeah, because you said, "Oh, it's in my mouth," and you know, I don't know what what would you expect us to do. You know what? You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll learn to keep my mouth shut at all times when I'm riding a ride with surprise robots spit venom into your face. Oh, man. Well, well, well. I think yeah, that's certainly a highlight for me of 2017. 
something, <laughs> something that we do on this show, I think, when we do this anniversary, is always look back, and, and sometimes our years have been pretty crummy, and other times they've been lots of fun. But looking back over 2017, what sorts of highlights uh, do you pick out from it? Oh, well, did you tell uh, your listeners about how I got my current occupation? I did not. Oh, wait. Well, I think I may have mentioned something, but you can certainly, you should say. Yeah, well, I, th- I think 2017, as, as by all accounts, been kind of a rough year for a lot of people. 300 million, in fact. But I will say that um, I took some time off of work for a year to take, help take care of my mother. And it was time for me to get another, get another job uh, about a month ago. So I applied at Barnes & Noble. And I applied specifically for the bookseller position. I went there. I, I did an interview. Told them about my past work experience, and I had to do two. Um, I had to do two interviews in terms of, like my sales experience, which I have very little because they're really minded. Uh, they're really sales minded there. And my final interview was with the store manager, and he said, "All right, take, take me. Uh, t- let's go over to the book area. Sell me this book." And I and I uh, put out a book that I've read that I've loved that's currently recommended by me. And he's like, "Okay, well, that's fine and good, but I'm looking for a non-fiction book. I'm looking for a non-fiction book, and I'm a pretty progressive guy. I- I'm interested in history. What could you recommend me there, Donovan?" As though he didn't want me to get the job, and. Um, I was like, okay, think, Grant, think. And I remembered that you talked about the book. Is it Super, is it Super Women? Is that the title of it? Yep. Super Women, uh, Gender Representation by Carolyn, Miss Carolyn Coca, uh, the author whom both of us had met, uh, although you spent more time with her at San Diego Comic-Con this year. So I recommended that. And um, the manager was kind of going through sort of like, you know, persona of a, of a customer. But you, you, I saw his eye, like, genuinely arch she's like oh okay so he went over to the bookmaster database and he looked it up and he started actually asking uh the workers do we have this book in the place and we found it and he said that he was legitimately going to buy it and i actually saw him purchase it uh himself and then as soon as he bought it he was like okay when do you want to start and he kind of started giving me work work book assignments and all this kind of stuff so i owe my current occupation my current job uh, and the fact that I have it to both Stella and Miss Carolyn Coca uh, for their podcast interview. So thank you very much for that. Our pleasure. <laughs> I, I also got a new job in a very, very strange way this year, which was um, I, I don't know if I told Stella this same story, too. But so I have these clients who I do, you know, childcare related work for and they own a business, you know, which um, I can't speak too much of because of confidentiality and HIPAA laws, but, you know, it involves, you know, a clinic and people recovering. And when I was done with their kids, I was on their company's payroll for tax purposes since I started working for them. And at the end of the day, they would be like, hey, can you just go by the clinic real quickly and just, you know, for like 45 minutes, make sure that like, you know, this person doesn't, you know, leave this room. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Um, you know, I'll be on the clock an extra 45 minutes and it's, you know, more money for overtime pay. And then in like the months following that, the 45 minutes would become a few hours and more and more until at one point I realized, wait, I'm a full-time employee at their company now. How did this happen? Which I've never gotten a job that way before. I've either interviewed for jobs or been offered jobs or something. This one I literally just fell into in a way that only I can. So there you go. And you'll never regret it. Oh. <laughs> there is a moment from that job that made it onto the Cataclysm episode when someone's like, hey, Josh, I hear you've been eating our food. And Stella's like, what's going on? 
Yeah, basically, I'm like, why are you eating somebody else's food, Josh? Can you not get your own? No, it was it, it, it was work food that I was. Um, that you were stealing. I just got home from prison. I'm so sad right now. Cause I opened the refrigerator and my cheesecake is gone. So I'm about to eat everything up in that refrigerator. Since y'all wanna eat my food! I don't care if it's in your house! Don't eat my food! So I do have an 11 second um, message for Stella though. Is it from, uh, thanks for the spoiler? Oh my god. Uh, spoiler alert! <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> nice job, Stella. Eight years and 150 episodes. Thank you for all of the spoilers on old comics and upcoming TV shows. Bye! Well, that was very kind of him. Thanks, Stella, for you. Congrats, Stella, for winning <laughs> 150 episodes. Oh, so man. I think, uh, yeah, I think overall my 2017 has been pretty steady. I think I only cried once, and uh, that, which was a work-related cry, so that's not too bad. Not as much stress, I think. Um, but, you know, this year is always there. I always, I feel like looking back, it's hard to go to past December when I always think of the years in like scholastic terms since I teach. And so it's always like, let me think about what happened last year. Uh, but no, the crying actually happened this scholastic school year. But no, San Diego was very interesting, and it was a better San Diego than previously, so that was certainly a highlight. Getting to see Don and Josh outside of San Diego was also nice, so we didn't have the stress related to that, and we could just hang out. And getting to see uh, Dear Evan Hansen in the spring, and then Anastasia in the summer up in NYC. So it's it's been a, a pretty a pretty nice year, and uh, coming to big decisions as well, and being scared to take new steps on other decisions uh, for me. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's sort of just uh, status quo for me right now. I, I guess Backroll Oracle has almost stressed me out. Uh, the most this year than it has because of now Oracle is just coming at me rapid fire <laughs> and there's like so much that I, it's like a scheduling nightmare to figure out because like, there are certain people that I have promised certain things and it's like figuring out when those people are coming on also figuring out when I'm doing what and, and all this crazy stuff so that's you know background Oracle it continues to be a great journey fun and I've been learning so much, but it's also like uh, sometimes overwhelming for sure. But I have to, a question. You need to get a chief of staff to like you know <laughs> handle the scheduling and the spreadsheets. So all you have to do is show up for the recording with your notes. Yeah. Like you know they they'll tell you here's the spreadsheet for this month. You know you have Tom Panneries coming on the cover JLA, and next month it's Michael Bailey the cover. You know like uh, this storyline, and then you're like okay thanks. I mean I guess I Kimberly that. Rockmore like you know ran oh, off to Venice and never returned. Be, yeah. She'd be the one. Yeah, what's your question yeah. there, Don? Okay, so so you've comparatively speaking, you would read a lot more Oracle uh, in a month than you would like a, like a classic Batgirl story. So 
does that have you thinking about like the Oracle character more than the, the old Batgirl stories would? Like in terms of like you know, okay, well Babs was like this in the seventies, Babs was like this in the eighties, or like with Oracle, do you do you find yourself thinking about her more in terms of like like learning about her more as Oracle, or do you think it's kind of the same when reading the old Batgirl stuff? I I do think in a certain way it's um, a little bit like apples and oranges, if only because of the eras that I was reading in. But I do find myself really sitting down and analyzing the Oracle character more, I think, than I did with Batgirl. Uh, Because Batgirl is more like judging the story that she was placed in. And then later on it was some, like, decisions, character decisions that I didn't agree with. But now with Oracle, I'm, like, looking at her place, looking how um, she influenced the story, whether she was needed with the story. Of course, the shipping moments that I'm starting, you know, seeing between her and Dick. So I feel like I'm actually pulling apart... Uh, more and and even those little bits where I'm not doing a full review, but I'm saying like she appeared here and this is what we can get out of it. I feel like that I have been spending more time in that way on Oracle than I have as Batgirl. Okay, though, you're very cool. Yeah, and, and like I think I don't I don't think even I knew how much she would be appearing. Like of course I I really wasn't aware of like the Suicide Squad stuff, and of course she'd be like you know random issues of whichever Bat book and then eventually BOP. But I mean, yeah. I mean, it, we're going to talk about you know her showing up in Green Arrow. I mean, you've already talked about her in Green Arrow, Green Arrow before. Right, so, yep. uh, it's it's. I think this is, you know, podcasts cover characters, they cover eras, but I think this is a pretty unique undertaking that um, you never know where you're going to end up. I mean, I think eventually you're going to get to like just, Justice League and stuff, and you're going to be reading a lot. Or I think I think you've already begun reading like kind yeah, of crazy just one stuff. Arc of Justice League, yeah. DC One so, Millions uh, coming up. JLA Titans is coming. Yeah, all this crazy stuff. So. Let the games begin. Yes, War Games is coming up too. Uh, well, yeah. not, not not for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I've like got you, time you, with it. you got like uh, No Man's Land, Murder or Fugitive, and like uh, a whole down. yeah, a whole bunch of stories before War Games. The Joker's last laugh. Enjoy that one. Yeah, no, it's been. In, I, I think you should. We we should bring Apple out of retirement for that to one. Do Joker. Joker. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's also interesting because I've read more Batman than I ever would have thought I would in doing all this research for Batgirl. And in doing this, I've been able to do lots of reading through the 90s, and I very much have enjoyed it, and I've, I've found a lot of good stories and, and favorites from these that I've been... Yay, yay. Oh, dear. <laughs> no, it's just, that's just that's that's the era you want to read if you want to get to know these guys. And, and I'll, 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 I'll die defending this era. Oh, my. <laughs> he, he he will too. Maybe in childbirth. <laughs> in childbirth, no. <laughs> there is still good in him. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, were there any anything that you're looking forward to in 2018, either with your personal life or professional life, podcasting life? Black Panther. <gasps> Infinity. Okay. Um, my brother and my, my brother and I geek out like every week, thinking like, oh, what's going to happen to Black Panther? What's going to happen to Infinity War? Uh, personally. I've been working on my writing for a while, mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I tend to talk about it with, mainly with Harry because we're both aspiring writers and we we podcast every every week. Uh, but I've told I've told you about this that like you know, it, it's 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 been a very interesting year because I, th- I think it has been a, a year since I started working on this book, and I, and I hope it's been slow, going slow a bit because of my work schedule. But um, I got to get through this you know this current this second draft and then the next draft and then the draft after that and kind of just really take it seriously. But um. You know, I've said I've said in previous anniversary episodes what I intend to do for the future, so I don't, I don't want to start predicting again to be foolish later on. But that is my current intention near the end of 2017, um, and I just hope that uh, everything gets everything with everyone else 
gets better uh, in the process. So, so we're all in a better, much better place. I was listening to a bunch of old anniversary shows to kind of like get me in the mood for San Diego earlier this year. And there's like so many shows where like Don and I and, and you were like, yeah, this is going to happen in this coming year. And I'm like, wow, none of those things wound up happening. So it's <laughs> I don't yeah. generally I don't generally like, um, you know, saying plans for the year ahead unless they're, you know, T's are crossed and I's are dotted. So but I mean, you know, there is some things that you know i've i've put in motion and we'll see you know that i'm looking forward to for 2018 and um i i think um 2017 was a good year for you know like podcasting wise because um we closed some deals with dc and strengthened you know the batman universe's relationship with them by you know getting on you know certain distribution lists that we weren't before that was good and um i did more conventions this year and it's it's actually funny because like i did nycc which was like a comic con which was the closest thing to san diego than all the other conventions i've done i did nycc without donovan and stella which felt weird and then i did a donovan and stella visit in florida without sdcc so it was like i the cake that i eat every year i like separated the ingredients and like had each without the other so <laughs> that, that that was unusual as well yeah, sure. I, I, I do want to because I don't actually pay attention, or I, just, I don't think I actually said anything about that besides the horrible dinosaur ride. Yeah. Um, I, I really, I really loved hanging out with you guys in Florida. Um, it, it was a very pleasant, pleasurable weekend, and you know, I love Stella and I like Josh, and it was, it was fun. <laughs> Man, I like Josh. I'm like, oh, oh. <laughs> I don't like you, like you. Well, that that breaks my shipper dreams. You know how I oh, yeah, I, I thought you shipped him with a dinosaur. Well, I mean, I have multiple ships for Don. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> of course, Amanda Waller's on the list. And Baby Watch Doll. out, Thomas Mattis. And Tarantula. Oh. Oh. Um, Anywho, don't you remember when I played the Newlywed game and I had people vote on which person they would pair you with? I don't remember <sighs> this you at do all. You do shit with a lot of <laughs> I did that to my best friend, too, the Hamburger. I think people chose Sabretooth. And then, yeah. Anywho, I am looking forward to following um, Don's pregnancy along and I guess each couple weeks or so posting on his Facebook in an obnoxious manner what size his current child is or what current size his child is. So I'm looking forward to that. And I, I am going, I guess this is the first time I'm revealing it publicly. I'm going to Kenya in June. And so this is both a super exciting as well as an overwhelming prospect. And I'm going with four other people from my church, and my church is paired up with uh, a children's home over there. So I think we'll be doing some construction, some building, but a lot of spending time with the kids and everything. And something that drew me to it was the fact that I work with kids anyways. Um, and so to go over there and, and also, you know, fellowship with with children there but also just to be out of america for a time and to experience (laughs) and really be and not like you know i'm going to be an expatriate but just to experience a a very different culture and um and and i really i like this prospect i'm not scared by that at all because i know that it's going to be so different because i unfortunately in my day-to-day life i'm just sort of surrounded by elitism and it's um, it starts to weigh me down after a while. Just this idea that you know America, um, you know, if it's not our way, it's the wrong way. And then 
individuals yeah. saying basically I deserve all this stuff. And so I want to be in a place where I feel like it's it's not going to be like that. And I also just am really interested in, in other cultures anyways because, um, you know, I was studying Iran a little bit this because I was preparing for a class and, and that was super interesting, just going elsewhere and learning about people that is not the people that I'm I'm with, as well as potentially leading me towards my, if I'm changing my profession, I think it'll also help. Uh, to be with people that, you know, I might be serving in that way. So there I will be. So, yeah, so a little scary. I've got to get my inoculations down first. But, uh, yeah. But the so podcast I- is going to continue during when, when you are in Kenya, right? <laughs> <laughs> what, I'm going to record over in Kenya? <laughs> I mean, I, I can't imagine you taking any time off just just because yeah. you're in another country. In another country. I'll have it in the. I'll try to do it before. I, yeah, I'll it'll be. Plan it, it'll be like long. Battle for the Cow. Like we'll have every single supporting player from over the years. You know, like you know, fight f- fight for the microphone. You know, like Tom Panneries versus Jacob. You know, oh, and uh, yeah, it's and 15 then, days, so it's not like I'm away for a whole month. So that sounds awesome. But yeah. So, uh, anywho, yeah, I, you know, I, I always, well, I try to keep in the present moment, but it is always good to, to look forward to, um, I guess hope, hope on the horizon. I think 2017, I didn't really imagine what it would turn out to be, <laughs> but, and, you know, cause Don's saying how we, we have to escape it or, you know, it was hard for everyone and depending, you know, even if we're to ignore, I think, politics, right, which I generally do on the show anyways, I think the most startling thing that has come out is all the sexual assault and harassment and, you know, all these allegations and everything and how it just keeps happening. And on the one side, I'm super happy about it. And on the other side, I'm, like, super sad about it. I'm happy because, like, people are coming forward and we're starting to, I think, get rid of, sort of cut away um, the flesh that is, is poison. But on the sad side, it's like super sad that, you know, this has happened to some people. I know people. what you mean, yeah. yeah. So I'm just hoping that, you know, I guess we're going to root out more of the problems. So I hope that continues. But I hope we also are able to find some sort of peace and uh, this sort of stuff now that's been brought to light that it's it, it stops or at least, you know, starts to uh, slow down and, you know, to the point of stopping. Uh, yeah, hope is, is all I can think. I think, I think and um, uh, plug, <laughs> but like uh, my co-host Harry and I on questions we don't have answers talk about this. Uh, we talked about this in the number of episodes that I think the key to this would be kind of just be the quote unquote humanization of women. Not that they have any work to do, but like just for kind of just kind of to have the whole the gender parity and having how we perceive each other to be a lot more, you know, not a lot more i guess like uh egalitarian and equal you know it's it's basically a call for like gender equality but i think when we see each other as people and not as what they can do for us then we'll be you know we'll be kinder and we won't we won't confuse you know one thing or another for like bad behavior you know because a lot of these guys were acting this way uh, you know out of, out of some sort of power dynamic or what they thought was okay and clearly that wasn't the case but it does all kind of contribute to i think a society and a normalization of bad behavior, which, you know, as we move on to the future, we have no, no place for. And I think that, that, um, we can all replace that with just more women, women voices and, uh, women in positions of power where this won't be, where this won't come up again. Okay. Well, I guess let's move on to the, uh, the main event, I guess, as it were, or the actual reviews and everything. And it was nice because on the horizon, when I was looking ahead, I saw that there was a crossover and crossover, 
crossover stories are always fun to do in groups. And no, it's not No Man's Land. But it is uh, – <laughs> well, because We're still like, not done with Aftershock. I know. I know. I just got my two trades, my Road to No Man's Land the, uh, in the mail, so I'll have those over the holidays. But no, this one's a fun little one. Scratch. Oh, dear. But this one's a fun little one because it introduces us or reintroduces us to some characters that we've had on before, but now they return. We've got some green arrow sides. So our story that we're going to be doing in the vintage side of this episode is Brotherhood of the Fist. And Josh has graciously agreed to be our commandant who leads us through the synopsis for this particular story. All right. Um, let me pull up the issue numbers for this too so i can say that but uh and keep in mind this is not going to be a super detailed panel by panel synopsis because because holy cow you know like we would be here all night and we have other books to, we have other books to cover okay so the issues in question are um part one of brotherhood of the fist is green arrow issue 134 part two is batman detective comics issue 723 that was when like the word Batman was bigger than the word Detective Comics on the cover because, you know, they had to sell it. And then part three is in Robin issue 55 with a really horrible cover, I might add, where, like, Batman's face is, like, huge. Yeah. <laughs> and then issue, um, um, yeah, and then the next part is Nightwing issue, the Skype thing is covering the issue number. Yeah, like, <laughs> your head, Donovan, is, like, covering the issue number on the file on this thing because it's... Why is it my head? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's your head. <laughs> it just happens then, to be your head. And, and then the conclusion is in Green Arrow issue 135. So um, there, there is some backstory here uh, that uh, doesn't happen in the crossover, but where they gather through exposition, because the 90s books were good at exposition, that previously the Connor Hawk version of Green Arrow, because Connor Hawk is Green Arrow in this, and um, you know Oliver Queen is right now dead. That's the status quo. And at one point, he had an adventure where he fought someone named the Silver Monkey and defeated him. So, you know, that's kind of where we're picking things up. Um, Connor Hawk is obviously happy because no one wants to be defeated by a Silver Monkey, but this Monkey Ninja cult is not happy. They're called the Brotherhood of the Monkey Fist. They want revenge on Connor Hawk because by defeating the Silver Monkey... Um, it, they're disgraced and they need to regain their honor. So they attack um, Connor Hawk's associate, Eddie Fires, to try and find him. And Eddie shoots at them. I did not know who Eddie was before this, but apparently, like, he's the most awesome person in the DC universe, according to everyone in this story. So, <laughs> I know. meanwhile, somewhere else, Connor Hawk's following a lead, and that makes him run into Batman who's following his own lead from Talia, and he's wearing his George Clooney suit from the final act of Batman and Robin. Uh, Batman's an a-hole to Green Arrow and, you know, throughout this because he keeps on, you know, saying, oh, I already knew that. And then if Connor says something, he's like, he contradicts it. And then Connor Hawk's like, okay, you know that, like, I fought with you, you know, with the JLA and everything. And Batman's like, well, I'll be the judge of your abilities. Maybe all those JLA victories were flukes. Um, so they discover this organization called Cobra has been taken out by somebody without using guns, and that's when the Brotherhood attacks and cowardly tries to win the fight by blowing up this fortress. Back in Gotham, Nightwing and Robin run into a sect of the Brotherhood who try and fight them, and this is going on while Batman and Connor Hawk – it feels weird for me to call him Green Arrow even though that's who he is right now. They've survived the explosion, but they're also facing monkeys you know, in the snow. 
and backing off him, the boys wonder, run into Eddie Fires, who Nightwing immediately hates. And uh, he tells the boys that basically the monkeys are not only going after Connor, they're going after every single noted martial artist in the DC universe because mm-hmm. they're trying to regain their standing in the community. Um, Nightwing and Robin double check this information with Oracle because they don't trust Eddie Fires. And Oracle decides to check up on Black Canary, but little does she realize Black Canary is already being attacked by the monkeys. Bronze Tiger lends her a hand and says that they should stick together because something's definitely going down. The monkeys think that Batman and Connor fell during that snow battle, but they, they, they their senseis, you know, says that they should still strike at people. They have to regain their honor. And the Silver Monkey, the guy who Connor Hawk, you know, like defeated before all this, he's in his cell and he's just laughing at this like fools. Connor Hawk is for me and me only. They hire Deathstroke because Eddie Fires is coming and apparently they're scared, you know, uh, the word I would say is a curse word, so I won't. But they're, they're basically scared of Eddie Fires and they're like, we can't use guns. There's no honor in it. And Deathstroke's like, well, you're hiring me and I use guns. Is there honor in that? You've discovered our secret shame, which is almost exact dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) And there's also one of my favorite Batman and Oracle moments where, like, you know, uh, Batman bursts into Oracle's, you know, uh, headquarters. And she says, you know, like, I I up my security just for you. And he's like, I'll admit it was hard this time. She's like, well, next time I'm going to make it impossible. So Oracle checks on Dinah to get more information, and Dinah, for the millionth time, pulls the, oh, I'm sorry, Oracle, I can't talk now, my communicator's not working. She's like, Dinah, stop that. And Bronze Tiger's like, who are you talking to? Oh, I was just um, rehearsing for a play. And Bronze Tiger's like, I used to rehearse for for plays a lot when I was in the Suicide Squad. That didn't go too well. So uh, they're advancing towards the Monkey's Temple to try and stop all this. Meanwhile, Batman and Nightwing and Connor Hawk tell Fires to stay away from Gotham with his guns. And uh, then Robin and Connor Hawk bond over the fact that, you know, know, bond over both of their mentors, you know, alive or dead. In a conversation that I love, but apparently the editors don't because at one point they accidentally switched Connor's dialogue with Tim's. Yes, thank Uh, you for pointing that out. Yeah, I had to reread that a few times, and I, I I thought that was a good conversation, but it was confusing what they did. Wait, 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 wait which which part? Well, I thought it was just uh, an error. It is an error. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're it just absolutely joking there. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely an error. Yeah. Meanwhile, a female mass challenger known as the Paper Monkey, who let's be real, we all knew it was Lady Shiva before she unmasked, um, steps into the stage and tells the other monkeys not to harm Robin. And Batman tells Gordon not to worry about all these people being killed. He'll handle it. Don't worry. This isn't a police matter. To which Gordon's like, WTF? The bamboo monkey Fs up Nightwing before Connor Hawk makes quick work of him, which was actually kind of impressive. And Nightwing is, like, really battle damaged afterwards. He's got to take his shirt off in front of Oracle, you know, for all you shit. Oh, it's so hard. I can't get this shirt off my chest. Yeah. Um, so Bronze Tiger and Canary get captured in off-panel land as Dinah, once again, you know, as she does in all the Birds of Prey stories, like, says to her, like, hidden communicator, come on, Oracle, I need a, I need a miracle. I'm so sorry I, like, didn't listen to your advice and turned off my communicator before, like I always do. Connor, Hawk, and Nightwing run into the paper monkey who challenges Connor and unmasks herself to be Lady Shiva. Meanwhile, Fires, you know, Eddie Fires, who's completely awesome as helicopter pilots and Dinah and everyone says incapacitates Deathstroke long enough to free Black Canary and the Bronze Tiger and then laugh at Silver Monkey saying, I'll never free you. Shiva's about to deliver the leopard blow to Connor Hawk, which we know from the is going to kill him. But Robin says, wait, I totally saved your life in that Europe story that happened right before Cataclysm. So you owe me. 
Shiva, like, you know, isn't really going to, like, do this. But she she decides to humor Robin, like, you know what? I'll give you this one, but we will meet again and we will fight to the death. And Batman, like, you know, begrudgingly says, well, you didn't get killed by Connor, Shiva. Good job, I guess. And Nightwing's like, hey, that's good enough for us. The end. He said, you didn't get killed by Connor, Shiva? Like, Shiva's or, or, Oh, you, you didn't get killed by Shiva, Connor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that was um, Brotherhood of the Fist, everyone. Brotherhood of the Fist. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Do you have any questions uh, for us? <laughs> I do. Um, did you feel that this crossover was padded? Hmm. I think I think so. I, t- for me, I would say that it didn't really get like ramp up in terms of interest until until Robin, and then like I, I enjoyed the second batch of issues more than I did the first couple of issues. And honestly, it's kind of confusing because like, I think in Robin, like you have a lot of like, oh, I can't reach Robin on Nightwing. And then the next panel, they're all together, and then the next panel, they're with, with they're with Connor Hawk. Um, it, it wasn't it wasn't the most cohesive of crossovers, uh, at least initially. So I mean, is it padded? Yeah. Is it is it crazily padded to the point of you know you know being unable being able to stand? I would say that, but yeah, it's probably a little bit padded. padded. And there are some interesting moments, which is funny because at one point I was very confused because you have. Batman and Connor, like, going to, I guess, get to the plane. It's all winter. And then all of a sudden, the next time you see Connor, he's coming down on a line with Robin. And I thought, wait, when did that transition happen? So there are also moments, because I, I do agree. I think there was there was a lot of stuff going on, I feel like, and maybe too many teams. Because the bron- while I really like the Bronze Tiger and Dinah stuff, I do wonder what part it really served um, with all the stuff that was going on. But I... But there are also times that I think there are quick cuts. Um, for, so if, if only they could have found like a, a happy meet between the two of them. Yeah, the transitions were very, very abrupt. Like Dinah and Bronze Tiger are captured. We didn't really see that happen. In right. fact, like we really only see them like three times. First, they're together. Then they're on the boat. Then they're captured. You know, like that was kind of it. And then, you know, um, like you say, Green Arrow, he's all of a sudden with them. Then he isn't. Then he sometimes is. And I feel like this might have been a one or two part story, you know, like at the most. And it's just too padded. Like, I think you can delete the Black Canary and Bronze Tiger thing for sure. Because to be honest, um, while I love the moment where like they both realize that the other knows who Oracle is, I I like that bit of continuity. But it's if aside from that moment, they really contribute nothing to the story. Like they don't advance the plot and they get captured. So like. They really don't accomplish anything. Like, you know, if you remove them from the story, the outcome isn't changed at all. They do nothing to change the outcome. It's just more characters, you know, from this to kind of follow. And even the whole Eddie Fires Deathstroke thing is kind of, you know, that's not really needed. It it, it was padded, too. I think that this should have been about, you know, like the Batman family helping Connor Hawk with these ninjas, which – even then, the Batman family, they're mostly kind of passengers for, like, you know, what is what is a Connor story. Like, you know, yeah. they're kind of hitching a ride to his way, which is fine. But again, it's like, you know, this was a story that I think could have been told in a few parts. But it does help that every, every part was told by the same writer. So, like, yeah. there wasn't yes. any, like, large inconsistencies. And Chuck Dixon, you know, he knows all these characters well. And you're able to, you know, play into the continuity. So that's... I, I did like that, but otherwise, um, yes, I did feel it was padded. Second question: What was your familiarity with Eddie Fires before reading this story? 
Um, so you want to go? Sure. I only knew him from when I read, I think it was like issues 112 to 114 or something like that, or 111 with the Sutherlands of Green Arrow. And so I, I remember asking the Sutherlands about, you know, who is this guy? What's his relationship with Connor? So what you are experiencing now, I mean, I experienced before, I guess just his sort of rough rider attitude or, you know, devil may care and just bang, 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 shoot him up. But it's interesting to hear your, when you guys were talking about it, your perspectives of him that everyone's like, oh, it must be Eddie Fires. But even there, you know, in that Green Arrow crossover, you had Dinah. So Dinah has, so it, it works on a level because he's already been introduced to these people and he has a certain relationship with them with the exception of, I would say, Batman, of course. Um, but yeah, so my history is just reading him previously, but I don't have like a long-standing history with him. Yeah, um, I, I um, read a couple of issues before this, just to kind of lead up, and there was a, there was a two-part storyline where the Justice League were featured, where Eddie Fires like was kidnapped by aliens and got superpowers oh. for like. A, I mean, I mean, they're, they're gone by the end of this issue, but like he he was like a Hulk, Eddie Fires, and like <laughs> he was kind of hopped up on testosterone and was fighting the, the Justice League and this. And honestly, I, I was picking up the kind of same thing that you were, that, like, this guy's basically Chuck Norris. Um, you know, he's the action hero. You know, everyone speaks about him. Oh, he can do anything. Oh, he's a, he's a wild one, that guy. It's, it's kind of that thing where it's weird because there are characters that are, you know, relegated to individual titles that you kind of have to roll with because they're, you know, they kind of build up the supporting cast. Like, he's, he's a Green Arrow supporting cast member. I did some research on him. He's, you know, he was around during the Ollie days, like, of this title. And when Ali died, he he swore to take care of Connor. Mm-hmm. But but like I mean, if you consider like like Bullock and like you know Bullock, oh that Bullock, you know he's always up to trouble. Whatever he he different plays by the rules. That's his mo. So I'm, I'm imagining this guy to be somewhat similar. But it was a little green to be reading like Nightwing and Robin and Detective Comics and having this guy constantly being like put across as you know. Like, he goes toe-to-toe with Deathstroke the Terminator. That was kind of, like, the end of my patience with him. <laughs> like, I'm sure he's good. I'm, I'm sure he's really good. But, like, they said that at one point he's, like, the greatest gunfighter ever. How come I never heard of him? <laughs> or how would he fare against Deadshot? Yeah. I guess very well if Deathstroke didn't kill him. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not I'm not saying that I hated his character. But I do think that there was a little bit of, of kind of just putting him over to impress Batman readers and Nightwing readers and Robin readers. And... I mean, sure, because I'm not a regular reader of Connor's story, but being this this being the first time, and for him, for my first experience with him, to be everybody saying how awesome he is, that was a little eye rolling. But um, man, I, I'm I'm sure if I if I took time out to actually read the Connor run, I would probably get used to him. And that's probably what you know um, Green Arrow fans reacted to when they were reading this because they knew who Fires was, but they didn't know who Shiva was. They're like, "Who's this Shiva, and why is everyone acting like she's like the deadliest person in the whole wide world?" But uh, fi- apparently, Fires w- is on the CW shows. I like, I looked that up. Oh, okay. So um, he he's he's been on Arrow. Yeah, and I guess again, um, you know, I'm very familiar with like some DC titles, but I've not read a lot of Green Arrow. So like, if I was more familiar with Green Arrow, yeah, this is a character who's been around since you know the Mike Grell uh, days. You know, uh, I think he was in Longbow Hunters. Uh, yeah, that was his first appearance according to this one website. So he's not some like obscure character. You know, he's just if you don't read Green Arrow, you don't know who he is. But it was a little extreme for me that like. Not only was, like, the book acting like I've heard of him, it was acting like, you know, 
he's like one of the top people in the DC universe. Like everyone knows him by reputation. It's it's like Eddie Fires wrote this as fan fiction about himself because dinosaur. <laughs> Because, like, the helicopter pilot, like, drops him off on the island, and there's, like, this shot of him, like, going into jungle. It's like, don't worry, there's nothing that can kill the great Eddie Fires. And then at another point, like, you know, Dinah's like, I hear Eddie Fires' voice, and that means we're going to hear a lot of guns going off real soon. It's like, Chuck Norris. It's, it's, it's the Chuck Norris thing. It's like, you know, a snake bit Eddie Fires, and it died. Or, you know, like, like, <laughs> yeah. like a... That kind of thing. He has a mustache for it. Every single character is just like, and like the, like this, like monkey cult, which is like, you know, like, you know, I guess almost as powerful as like the hand or something. They're like, Eddie fires is coming. We we must break our centuries old tradition, not to hire mercenaries and use death stroke. Like this is kind of an interesting parallel. Cause, um, is it Martin that hates Lady Shiva? Yes, so? Martin Gray does. He he's just bored by her and thinks that she's used all the time, and that's what I think about Ra's al Ghul. <laughs> and so when he and I talk about, it, I'm like, oh, but I like Lady Shiva. Yeah, he's wrong. She's awesome. But I, I will say that, like, it, it is. It is. Josh brought it up. If you don't know who Shiva is, they, oh, they're putting this this Shiva chick over. I mean, in fairness, I mean. Eddie Fires is a Green Arrow character. Shiva is a DC Comics character. She's first appeared in Richard Dragon, and she's appeared in stuff other than the Batman book. She's not. She's not solely a Batman character until later on, where she got you know she she did appear more and more. But like, um, it's weird because like it's an interesting uh, situation because with Shiva, you do have the history of her beating up Batman and Death in the Family. You know, showing up in Robin's first miniseries, and then later on in Nightfall, there is a history with her. There's a history with this Eddie Fires character. Like he was around with Ollie in the early, in the Long and Hunter days and all that kind of stuff. So this guy isn't a new character, but it's interesting meeting him from this perspective where I'm I'm like lapping it up all the Shiva scenes. Like, yeah, that's awesome kick his ass Shiva. whereas with Eddie Fires I'm like how can this guy fight Deathstroke but I don't know I'm, 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 yeah, I'm making yeah. it to him so and, maybe maybe he should and it's interesting because we sort of have current issues now with Catwoman fighting Talia and beating her so it's this interesting thing of like <laughs> do you have a sword you know, yeah can, hold on let me get one from my fiance back. <laughs> and then it's funny because she sticks she then sticks it into Talia and says, hold my sword for me. I thought it was funny. But, you know, it's just interesting because who really has the, the definitive answer on, you know, who's the best fighter, who can beat whom? Because I would think that Shiva... Oh, sure. Uh, I would think that Shiva could... Well, that's interesting, though, because did she get in as many licks, as many hits on Shiva as Connor did? Uh, yeah. She beat. She's beaten Shiva twice. Okay. I mean, I, I mean, no, it's kind of snobby of me to say because, like, like there. This is <laughs> this is one of those uh, stories where you can introduce the conversation. Who was the best fighter in the DCU? Sure. Like, uh, I mean, for those who don't know, uh, Cass and Shiva has have have like two like death battles. Shiva's killed Cass, um, but she, but like but like that Cass come back to life and has beaten Shiva on two. Cass consecutive also days. killed Shiva too, and at the end of her title. One was the before she regained speech, correct? Um, well, the first one was when like she she had gained her, like, the capacity for speech, but she lost her like fighting technique, and she agreed to give it back to her if, if she could like face her in a death battle. And you know the other one was near the end of her series. But the but the large point is that like uh, like I always knew that Connor Hawk was one of the top fighters of the ECU, and here he and Shiva are going like toe to toe, blow for blow. And like in terms of like a health bar, if we kind of uh, measure it that way, I think Shiva was on maybe a quarter health, whereas whereas with Connor was about to get killed. I mean, Shiva had beaten Connor, yeah. but but Connor did survive. 
Um, so I, I, I don't think it does Connor talk down, but like, I mean, if you're going to say who, ha- who had a better fight against her, I mean, Cass has straight up beaten Shiva. So that's not, exactly. and that's not, that's not fanboyism coming. It is, yeah. but, uh, it's, it's <laughs> it is, I think this story could have been, I think it was interesting, but I mean, if you think about it, it's just full of so many fights and really good fighters. I mean, bronze tiger is supposed to be a really good fighter. Dinah Lance uh, should be, you know, pretty competent and everything, which is why maybe I disagree that they were taken out. I guess if we can say by sheer numbers they were taken out rather than their abilities. But this, um, we could have padded it with a bunch of fights uh, and less, I guess, story or, or different things that were going on or maybe less Eddie Fires. But there's a lot of interesting stuff. <laughs> I don't know because that's Eddie your problem fires. here, less Eddie Fires. But, well, because he was also cheating because he used, you know, the gun and not really anything Yeah, this is like a martial arts story and Eddie fires. and there's a lot of cool stuff that's going on here. And the monkeys cheat, too. I also liked the fact that Shiva, I almost feel like it was um, not really a maternal thing, but, and it's not really nice, I guess I can say, but when she said, you know, don't touch the kid, and I felt like maybe it reflected back on when she and and Tim were training together, or she was training Tim. Mm -hmm. But what do you think yeah, about that? Well, I, I think, that, that I think absolutely. Okay. Well, I mean, um, to, to just kind of get into that, I mean, it absolutely does because she does have like a, a a relationship with Tim. Yeah. Not that kind of relationship, but like you know, just just well. she does have a Tim. But like this does, I mean, Tim references and Josh and I have talked about this story before a lot because we we enjoy it. And I think I actually told you told this to you before that like when T- Tim before Cataclysm, Tim was out of the country and he ran against Shiva, and there was there. I'm not gonna get too much into the details, but like she does owe him his life so like the, 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 life? the fact that chuck Jason, uh yeah she owes him her life because he 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 saved her life yeah. and Wait, well um, he, he's the one who killed her too yeah he accidentally killed her and brought her back to life uh, <laughs> and, and he gave her, so, gave her oh superpowers so <laughs> yeah well, I, don't, I, I don't i don't want to get too much into it because it's a tangent, it, it was but, it was in that cataclysm book that we covered but like in the trade it only shows like the last few pages where um well, you know like tim is like where Tim's like, that was a weird adventure with Lady Shiva. Now they come back to Gotham. Well, I've read that miniseries. Because that's the miniseries where she appears near his bed at night. She's like, it's time. <laughs> his first miniseries? Yeah. That, that's, oh, that's, that's, I don't think I'm ready for yeah, this. Yeah, I remember that. And you're like, what? What's going on? Yeah. Ew, no. Yeah, but but no, I, I agree that like it's it's nice character continuity. Um, like even without the uh, the Robin story with, with you know with them out of the country, like if you kind of just go back to the the first miniseries, it it tracks because like she, I mean she never I don't I don't think that she ever goes up against Robin until the end of Tim's series, which you know that their their enemies there, but generally this like they're uneasy allies, which is kind of cool. And I don't remember how did he beat her at the end of his series when when they fought because it was like a backup story or something. Um, it, 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 he like, outsmarted her. It was it was like it was like some sort of like like trick. Like didn't he gas her or something? I don't remember. He did, I, I he did yeah, I, I don't remember. She was just like mad at him, like, "How dare you go on when Batman's gone?" You know, like the, the audacity. I, I I do love like like honestly, when, I I thought that it was paper paper uh, monkey with Shiva, but like, when it was like, oh no, Shiva, <laughs> to be concluded, I was like, yay! <laughs> who, who is this mysterious Asian? You know, like black haired, you know, uh, fighter. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't like, know. So I, I was happy, but I was thinking like, oh, I think it's Lady Shiva. And I was happy when it happened. <laughs> you weren't wrong. <laughs> yeah, but and, – and you know, I – I'm sorry, Martin. But I really like Lady Shiva, and I thought that she was perhaps the best part. Who's Martin? Martin Gray is – he was on for Birds of Prey, and I think maybe he did – why would Lady Shiva in there? Oh, is the Manhunt, the Manhunt miniseries, Birds of Prey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so he yeah. came on. He's from England. 
We don't talk about them. <laughs> I whispered because I didn't know. I want to be sure that it was Scotland, but I'm be sure. And uh, he just, <laughs> so you can edit it out. Just, well, it doesn't matter, I guess now. But he, um, yeah, he just doesn't. He's bored with her. And I told him that I was probably gonna name drop him and say all this. So, see, there are three people that like Lady Shiva Martin. You're in the minority. Three of one million. Probably four if you count Chuck Dixon, because good because Chuck Dixon loves her. He used her a lot. Well, also the thing too, because like uh, in that story you guys are talking about, like I think Catwoman and Black Canary were hightailing it, and the last thing you saw was Shiva in the middle of fire, like giving them like a death stare and being freaking awesome. <laughs> and Martin was like, "Oh, she's so boring, you guys." And I was like, "But she's doing the thing. She's just super cool." I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's just, she's she's the Eddie Fires of the Batman universe. We just can't see it because we grew up with her. But she actually beats Batman all the time, and that kind of, like like Eddie Fires has like his street cred, but like. I would rather. I'm like, sure he's done awesome stuff in the Green Arrow stories that I've never read. <laughs> Maybe so. I, I would have rather seen Slade uh, beat him up, but like they went, they 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 went blow for blow, and uh, they had a more close, they had a closer fight than Connor. <laughs> that would have been funny if like the whole book they're like bigging up Eddie Fires, and then like Deathstroke just like shoots him in the head in one panel. <laughs> Broken and done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would have been down. Uh, what did you all think of the art? I enjoyed. I think there was one. Oh, there was one I was surprised about. I think it was the detective one because it was uh, yes, Alex Maleev, and I was like, "What? This mm. is out." And it's interesting because, and I guess really, it's true that artists, I think, they develop and they evolve. Yes, because I think of I read a lot of him during sort of post Civil War era um, Marvel. Uh, when he was on, I think, maybe Mighty Avengers or something like that. And so it's just interesting to see, like, that style that I know over there is not at all true of what's over here because he used a lot of hatch hatching marks. Um, but I really, I think that may have been my favorite one, though. I actually really liked the art on Detective. But I think overall with Solid, I'm not sure if there was one that I didn't care for. I didn't love Will Rosado, and I think he was an artist who did the... Um... Uh, the two-part Robin story that I was on for with uh, the Maxi Zeus arc, mm. I think I don't I don't necessarily remember, but I, I kind of I don't know his storytelling. I I, I didn't love. Uh, Alex Meev was interesting. I, I know him from like Daredevil. Is and that the Aliens. Robin issue that he was in? Our yeah, show? yeah, okay. yeah. Will Rosado was on Robin. Yeah, I can see that. It probably might be the weakest. Um, but like honestly, like, once we got to Nightwing, I was loving that because it was Scott McDaniel at, at his finest, and uh, Scott I like McDaniel how- does action fight sequences really well. Well, yeah, and I love there was there's one panel I'm on it right now where he because he the way he does Nightwing is very like, like Spider Man. He has the multiple images thing, and you have Connor and Nightwing kind of like flipping around and jumping around, and then you have just him using the, like the cable to swing. I thought that was a pretty good. Pretty Wait good for thing. me, guys. Yeah, and he, he tends to draw Tim pretty small. I thought it was fun, and the Green Arrow artist, uh, let me get to his name, Dougie Braith. Breathe. Wait, wait, I actually, I think he's, I think he's pretty good. I think that like sometimes oh. his faces. I'm not a fan of his faces sometimes, but like I think that like the anatomy was good, and uh, I was reading part one, and part five. I was like, oh, this is this is pretty good. Like the, the Shiva Connor fight was pretty pretty rough looking, so I, I liked it. I did not like Braithwaite because I did not like how he did faces, and I did not like how he did eyeballs and the masks. And I don't like that either. I it, it's that. his his stuff really took me out of the story. I, I did not like. Um, his uh, his art, which is one of the reasons I was asking. So I was. I will say that Alex Maleev uh, did make a mistake on Dinah's costume in the Detective Comics. 
uh, because it's it's open chested, I guess, or at least like you can see cleavage, and that's not what her costume is at this era. Oh. Uh, it's black. It's black all the way up to her neck, which you can see in the other uh, parts of this particular one. So I was a little taken aback when I was watching, reading this. I'm like, why? Why? And then I go on the other. One, I'm like, yeah, that's the costume that it should be there. Uh, she does have sort of the bikini bottom there, but not the, the top. Do you, is this is this the first? Do you think that this this issue would be the first time she changed her costume, or is it just a straight up mistake? It's a mistake because it's because <laughs> it's inconsistent. Why are you laughing? It is. It is. Yeah. Sleazy Alex it's, it's not like this. I'm sorry. It's it's not. It's that's not her costume. That's a mistake. <laughs> um. So, but but you like the Scott McDaniel art, Don? Heck yeah. That like opening like splash page with all like the dead ninjas and stuff that was cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, he, do, do you think that if Barbara Gordon saw all those dead ninjas, she would say jackpot? <laughs> that was a good episode that we did last year. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he said that before Nightwing. Like, I remember there was, there was uh, like a scene with a bar open up with a lot of dead bodies, and uh, he does a lot of like like gruesome stuff, but they don't look too gruesome. It's, they're still kind of cartoony. Mm-hmm. And because this is Batgirl Oracle, what do you think of our girl Babs in this? Yeah, yeah. And as a follow-up to that, once you're answering that, could you also say, do you think that this story would work without her? I think that I – was, I was honestly surprised when she showed up. I was like, oh, yeah, that's why we're doing this this story. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. Um, but, but, but like Dixon – you know, Dixon is like one of the best Babs writers in my opinion. And like whenever she shows up, he uses her well. So it's a character moment between her and Batman. And like, you know, when she shows up – of course she shows up in Nightwing because by this – but she's pretty much a supporting player in Nightwing consistently. I, I actually like the panel where she's saying, I, you know, like, like where she says, you know, oh, Batman, you got through my security defenses. I'll make sure it's impossible next time. And it's like, tell me your source. I don't, I share my day with you, but you don't need to know where I get it. And like, they're kind of having that sparring dynamic that like Stella always goes on about. Where like, I mean, are, they, are, are you still under the belief that like this far into their relationship, they're still, she's still mad at him from killing Joke for some reason? Because ah! <laughs> you're, you're on about that a lot like last year. Are, are, are you still thinking that's that's in play? Well, I don't think that the relationship is like it was before. In fairness, Batman's relationship it, with everyone is kind of like horrible. Like, like, look at how he treats Connor Hawk. Oh, that I do want to talk about, but I, but I sticking know, with, yeah. with Barbara. Um, no, I, I think that it has irrevocably changed. It has changed. I don't, I don't think it's a bad relationship, but I think it is, it is different than when she was Batgirl. I'll agree. I think that there's lots of cases where, like, you know, they're totally cool with each other. It's just like if you have that fan theory that like she's never forgiven him for killing joke like there is evidence to support it but there's also like evidence to support the fact that like you know she's not really holding that against him either but it's it's all how you look at it it's um i I do like batman admitting that like you know um he struggled through her security defenses because that's not something that he readily does and uh you know thanks for the spoiler alert he continues he continues to be he continues to be a jerk to her like in the next few years like there's like this arc in birds of prey where like he's spying on her like with alfred and like oracle eventually reveals oh actually i've been spying on you spying on me and i knew this whole time and batman's like dumbstruck batman does a, he's, he, he like spits out his sandwich and alfred la- laughs in his face <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like you know he that that's who this version of bat like i don't see like his interactions with her being that different than his interactions from like Every other member of the Batman family. Could this story have worked without Oracle? Absolutely, because, you know, unlike 
we talked about this with Cataclysm, how like, you know, she was such a big part of that story and everything and she contributed a lot. I don't feel like we get the same thing here. She really just supplies the information. And even at the beginning, when Batman says, oh, my source, she's really, really good. And I was like, oh, yeah, Oracle. He's like, oh, actually, I was talking about Talia, Josh. And I was like, oh, never mind her. And I was like, which is weird because he didn't really have a good relationship with Talia at this point in time because Legacy had just happened. But, you know, I had not read the the detective issue where I I guess Talia was in there because like um, they they never really flashed back. She was she's not in the story. So I was like, okay, I guess I have to read that. But um, I'll I'll agree. Was was, was that an actual issue? Because I just assumed that that was like an off panel land setup thing. I didn't think that there was a prequel. I'm honestly guessing because because it's Dixon who's writing all these issues and. I, I can't imagine Dixon just mentioned something offhand without writing it first in some comic. Maybe it wasn't, but I'm, I'm guessing that it was. I agree with you that it, the story would have worked with her. I think with her being in it, though, and being present, that's what brings in Dinah, because that, I think, certainly would not have worked, because you'd wonder why is Dinah over there, or that connection with Bronze Tiger. So I think, you know, having Oracle... You're able to have other wonderful moments there. I agree that I really also like the interaction with her and Batman and, and that little, even the little sort of tongue-in-cheek, the little chess thing. You know, your your queen is in check uh, and that sort of thing. But no, I, I like her portrayal. I mean, consistently I've been enjoying her characterization, however small or large it may be. And I, I really especially like the art where she was appearing, how... I guess the the back glow or the backlight of the computer screen showing green on her, which I think is just going to be a consistent color that we'll see with her because of the actual Oracle mask. So I I really liked her in this. Her hair was short, Professor Allen, Prof Prof over there in Sing Sing, and my uh, old cellmates. Oh man, that's really sad. And the uh, yeah, he knows no, he knows I, what he did. Oh, that was good. I, well, you know what you did too, sir. And. <laughs> Shade all day. He had it coming. He had it coming. He only had himself to blame. If you'd have been there, if you'd have seen it, I bet you you would have done the same. Yeah, there's not much else I could say except that I, I very much enjoyed. It. I think you guys hit all those ones. What do you think of um and it's like like when we go back to Nightwing, you've 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 been seeing her appear in Nightwing uh, for a little bit now. You're see her oh, more again. Yes, of course I have. What do you think of how Scott McDaniel draws Oracle? Reminds me of the girl from the real Ghostbusters cartoon. <laughs> 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 I, think, I, think she, I think she looks. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't often say this, but I think she looks really cute by uh, McDaniel because she has, she has the glasses and she always has kind of a smile on her face. Yeah. No, yeah. I've enjoyed that, and that was probably my first, I guess, real big dose. Right? You know, I revealed to you that uh, I only collected shipping issues between the two of them, and so I had seen that big kiss during No Man's Land, and that was like my first introduction between their relationship. So I'm actually really used to his his portrayal of her, and and I very much enjoy it. That's when Stella became a woman. Sure. Um, I don't know if that's how it works, but okay. And I think it's also nice that she's not, like, sexualized at all. Um, because Absolutely. Because I think when you say cute, I sort of think of it as, you know, girl next door, which I think is very much how I envision Barbara Gordon. Yeah, and, 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 and I'm not, not to, you know, be too nice. He does... 
he draws women very very sexy like like huntress and even like flashbacks of Batgirl. but barbara as as oracle does look like a normal a normal attractive girl and not you know a hyper you know whatever whatever um what, what did you what did you think about how um bronze tiger and dinah were referring to oracle like like where bronze tiger started to figure out who, who she was talking to i liked it because it was like two different eras of Oracle coming together and they, it was both a big question mark of who, you know, who is the the lady behind the mask. But it was also unfortunate because Bronze Tiger sort of alluded to an association between missions going wrong and Oracle um, as if it were her fault, but it wasn't really because <laughs> yeah. there's like other stuff going weird. on. Yeah, it's not Oracle's fault. And that unfortunately, you know, would cast some doubt on Dinah there. And I think already while they have this interesting dynamic, it is hard to be to trust someone fully that you don't necessarily see, you know, because you've got this person talking in your ear. And so I just wonder if this will impact uh, how that relationship going forward until we get the the hunt for Oracle. But as always, you know, Dinah has that little moment which I always sort of roll my eyes and chuckle at when she turns off <laughs> she Oracle. Does that even all though the Oracle time. she does. Oracle's talking to her and like, Don't do this, don't do this and she's and, and then, like, later on, like, she's, like, she always gets kidnapped, and she's, like, saying to her necklace, I need a miracle, Oracle. Like, this happens all the time. Like, it's not even funny. But I say, <laughs> Apparently it is. <laughs> yeah, I say as I laugh. Um, now, it's been a while since I've read the suicide stuff. Stella, you might have a, more of a memory of this since you covered it on the podcast. Did Bronze Tiger see her as Amy Bedos? Like, because I remember Oracle would, like, hang around, like, the headquarters and like you know going through the hallways as amy beddows yeah like, like, i don't be- yeah i don't believe that very few people uh i think saw her mm-hmm. so i don't believe so which is what his comment is saying about um someone was she was like behind locked doors right well and like did bronze tiger's era like cross over with hers because you know yes. i um, yeah, because okay. he was one of the sort of the team leaders, and Amanda Waller had this like weird relationship, or like cared about him in an odd way. So they yeah. were they were there. Did any of us have a favorite uh, issue or favorite chapter? I liked in the Robin one where like he has that talk with Connor Hawk about like you know like, and that was like actually my understanding of Connor Hawk at that point was like you know his little introduction about like I grew up in a monastery, we didn't have you know like a TV and stuff like that, and like. And just like everyone else, like, you know, he asks him if uh, Batman is his father and like Tim, like actually like for once, like answers the question, because sometimes he's usually like, I can't even like acknowledge that or like or you'll know my secret identity. I I like that moment. Um, And even though the editor like, you know, got the dialogue flip. But, you know, even when they say like Batman always makes it seem like you're not doing good enough, but he's actually impressed by you. That's pretty awesome. I actually really liked the final part, Green Arrow 135, just because of the fight sequence, mm. Connor holding his own, and now, I guess, becoming number two in the slot, and Batman warning him, at, warning him at the end, as well as Tim Drake standing up to Shiva and, and saying, stand down. And it's interesting, because I think he was, that, that was a complete act, because at the end, you see, like... He, how sweaty he is and he's like Phew, you know that that so I think he was totally BSing that whole thing and, and trying to be braver than he actually was against Shiva you know worrying that maybe she would call his bluff but I think yeah I well really he, he did say that he knew that she would kill him like she's like you're gonna die sure. and he's like yeah but you know like I'm willing to like sacrifice my life i remember when i first read this in the 90s i only read the robin and nightwing chapters like i did because those were the books i was picking up i didn't right, bother, yeah 
I didn't bother to pick up the other chapters because I was kind of like, you know, after Cataclysm, I was like, I can't do another crossover right now. Like, let me. And and it was Brotherhood of the Fist. Even a five issue. It was Brotherhood of the Fist. Like, you know, like I didn't really like need it. And this story, like it did feel like a diversion because it interrupted, you know, plot lines that was going on with Robin right now because we were in the um, transition from Ariana to thanks to the spoiler. And there was stuff going on in Nightwing's title, too, with, you know, like blockbuster oh yeah this this is this is like isn't that like the issue before stephanie becomes pregnant this, well this she, like, she she she's already pregnant as we I, I, well i mean like, she, I, like she, this is that month right just like just like uh dawn she doesn't have a dilophosaurus though i'm throwing my phone at your head <laughs> <laughs> what um, was your favorite issue dawn Honestly, like I, I, I like i was reading this i was like okay this 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 you know this is a comic story i'm, I'm reading but like i, I kind of this is gonna sound mean, but I kind of woke up with Nightwing, um, and that's probably just, <laughs> like uh, I, th- I think Chuck Dixon's writing applies to some artists better than others. Like I, th- I don't think that Will Rosado yeah. responded in terms of the storytelling, but like with Nightwing, you have like these dramatic, like craw- sprawling images of like you know he draws Gotham City with a bunch of bats, and you know it's all kind of twisted because it's post cataclysm, and the fight is really I, re- I really like the fight scene where um the uh, the bamboo monkey was beating up Nightwing, and Connor Sahak just beat his butt and. Uh, that the, final, awesome. the final scene with um reveals Lady Shiva is like dun dun dun. I was, I was like that was that's a comic book, and uh, I think right behind that is Green Arrow one thirty five because the fight scene was really good, and like the characterization we mentioned was was really good too. I mean, it's, I think overall this is a, a a decent crossover, but the last two parts I think were the best. I do have a question in Detective Comics seven twenty three, and this is also a shout out to the Sutherlands to also chime in on this if they get a chance from their globe trotting in Greece. <laughs> um, on page 8 of Detective Comics number 723, you've got Batman and Connor fighting. And Connor says, you knew my father pretty well, right? Maybe you could answer some questions for me. And Batman says, I knew him as well as anyone. I used to be afraid you were too much like him in some ways and not enough like him in others. And I wondered if either of you had an idea of maybe what those ways were or what Batman is, is insinuating with that comment. Well, I've uh, my my main familiarity with, with Oliver Queen Greeno. I've not really read a lot of the long longbow hunter era stuff. I have read a lot of the seventies uh, hard traveling heroes, Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff, um, which I think has informs his personality and character quite well. And I've read uh, some of the Kevin Smith stuff, some of the Jed J- J- Winnick stuff, but it's not. I think they're referring more to like like the nineties era where he where he was a darker character. That being said, I'm just, I'm guessing that Batman is figuring that that. He's worried that Connor has inherited Ali's uh, recklessness and not his, you know, his, I guess, experience or, you know, recognition of when something's too dangerous. Well, I do know that Connor Hawk is very different from Oliver Queen. I mean, they're, it's, it's one of those situations where, where it's like, you know, you know, Connor, like, Oliver is your dad. You're nothing alike besides the hair. Like, uh, so I think that that was an interesting thing. Um, I, th- I think when, when Batman says, when Batman says he, he knew him as much as everybody else, I, th- I think Barry Allen and Hal Jordan knew him better. But, it was an interesting scene. Yeah, without without reading too much of like you know Green Arrow's title, I couldn't tell you. It is weird though because um the just uh, on the Connor Hawk level, like Black Canary and Green Arrow, like they go together, you know, like peanut butter and jelly, and like Dinah does not interact with Connor at all in this story. But I do know that like in other stories they have interacted, so it's it's not like they've never met, but. I feel like that was kind of a missed opportunity here, especially because, you know, like Dinah would be the bridge to gap the Batman family, you know, with her relationship with Oracle and the Arrow family. So missed opportunity. 
I also want to say that, like, um, when I was first getting into comics when I was a little kid, like, because like, I was reading, you know, reading these books and those kind of stuff. I really liked Connor Hawk. I didn't really read much of his comics, but I really, like, whenever he popped up, I thought his costume was cool. I thought his name was cool. And I've since become probably more of an Oliver Queen fan, but like Connor, Connor Hawk is kind of like a, an, an old favorite that I, I forget from time and again. So I, I enjoyed reading him here. And um, I was really happy when he showed up in the um, Legends of Tomorrow, although that was, that was kind of a fake out. But uh, I, I, like, I like Connor Hawk in general. Yeah, the kids, they watch the CW shows, and they're like, and Oliver Queen's son. And I'm like, oh, yes, Connor Hawk. And they're like, who's he? No, Oliver Queen's son is this other random teenager that needed help with algebra homework in some episode. Oh, well, Connor is his son that he protected. So who who's the son that – because I, I watched a random episode this season, and like the, like the major Oliver Queen plot of the episode was like he couldn't help his son with homework. That's and he had like – he had like Felicity like help him, and I'm like, that's not Connor Hawk. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. I'm actually not watching this season. Because oh, 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 really? I'm not watching okay. Flash because there's so much to watch these days. I can't keep up. Yeah, yeah, that's basically it. And and I don't get CW, so I was having to use my device to use watch, and I just didn't want to be staring at my cell phone. So I'm just gonna wait until the Netflix, basically. But anyways, enough about me. So I guess should we uh, should we rate this puppy? <laughs> Sit, lay down, good boy. I will give this. Actually, didn't think, I actually didn't think about this. You know, I'll, I'll give us a straight up seven out of ten. I thought it was decent. It was fine. I had no real problems. I think that uh, there are some good issues. There are some not so. There, there are some good issues that are, that uh, are better than other issues, but nothing's bad. So I'll give it a seven out of ten. A seven out of ten uh, arrow arrows. I give it um, an 8 out of 10, um, Eddie Fire gun, you know, shots because – Oh, wow. Um, this was – even though, like, I had some issues with the pacing and some of the characterization stuff, like, I, I do feel well that this story had some errors and it was padded. It was still, like, a solid, you know, on most of the writing and on most of the art. So, you know, it's – a, a bad Chuck Dixon book is still, like, better than most of the comics I read on a regular basis. Better, It's, it's, it's still better than – a lot of comments are today. Yeah, frankly. yeah. I think maybe a seven point five out of ten uh, monkeys, <laughs> silver monkeys. Yes, and I think it was slow in the beginning, but I think it it picked up when Paper Monkey came into into the world, and I overall I enjoyed it. I, I didn't know what to expect, quite honestly, when it all started with um, the ancient one. That's not his name. What's his name? <laughs> Oh, uh, I don't know his name actually. That's not a character. Is it the ancient? It's not the ancient no, the, the, one. The, the, the ancient one's from Marvel. That's what I thought. Dormammu. It's the guy that was in oh, um, Batman Odyssey. Remember? Oh, the uh, like, 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 like. Oh yeah, that the master or somebody. Yeah, something like that. Anywho, but I, I just didn't know where it was going, and it turned out to be okay. So there you go. I look forward to Martin angrily replying to this episode saying it's leadership of sucks. Grr. I hope he does. I hope he does. Okay, well, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back with some modern titles and maybe some literature recommendations. I don't know if they're prepared for that. Oh, you betcha. Okay, but... I've actually been reading or doing a lot of Audible books oh, while I Uber. I can't believe it. What do you mean okay. you can't believe it? <laughs> I never knew you could read, frankly. I, I, I was reading to... Oh, 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 oh. When we were at Comic-Con, I was reading JLA Titans aloud. That's true. You read these comics. Okay. 
Yeah, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, I read every time we do this show. Like, what are you talking about? You've seen me read. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so when we come back, we're going to review Batgirl on the Burns of Prey number 16 and Batgirl number 69 or 17, depending on how you view it. Uh, but first, Zias' radio hour <laughs> featuring Day I Die by The National. <laughs> Where 
so here we are. We're back again. No bloopers this show. No bloopers. Really? Back roll, maybe. <laughs> maybe we can get away without it. Maybe we'll shock everyone by having no bloopers. Back on the Birds of Prey, number 16, Manslaughter, part 2. Secret of the Ooze. And the subtitle is Crisis Mode. Writers Julie Benson and Shauna Benson, artist Rohe Antonio, and colorist Marcelo Maiolo. The extended Birds of Prey family, or team, takes a moment on the roof before all deciding on what duties each of them will perform. Wonder Woman goes to Waller and finds out that there is a particular construction site in danger. And Waller doesn't really want to have anything to do with it because she's talking with the mayor. Dinah, Ivy, and Harley bring a faking Ollie into the hospital when a nurse tries to dose Ollie with the virus. Ivy gets the virus and the nurse mentions Daughters of Gotham, whoever they are. Batwoman checks in with Renee Montoya, shipper who has a suspect. The suspect shows no remorse and says that they will cleanse the city of men. Huntress checks in with Dick and takes some blood. Cass takes Clayface's blood, Chipper, and Catwoman checks in on Bruce. Wait, no, not Chipper. <laughs> She's underage. Yes. James Tynion James said do not ship these two. Like, oh. I, I, well, I, 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 just, if... I just threw up, threw up the egg in my womb. <laughs> That's a hard, you made me sick. <laughs> What if Clayface turns into a fifteen-year-old boy? You, you don't. You don't turn into someone who's fifteen. Like you, it's your age. It's like. But what about that time that uh, Alan? No, it wasn't it? Was it Kyle? No, it was Hal. Wasn't Hal Jordan dated that underage girl? But she like, fast-forwarded and she was older. That was still illegal for him to do. He's, it's, okay. it, it, it never gets it's not creepy, like uh, like Poison Ivy on Gotham and stuff. Sure. So, anyways, ship or don't ship, Cass and Clayface is up to you. The, the don't, don't ship. Stuff. It's illegal. It's a felony. Okay, don't ship them. But if you feel like four <laughs> years from now you could potentially <laughs> ship them, then you can put it on the back burner and ship them in four years when she's nineteen. The- okay. So at the construction site, Wonder Woman <laughs> saves the workers, and Lois, hello, checks in with the hospital and finds out that the Gotham Seaside Coliseum is housing thousands of victims. Outside City Hall, the team meets Waller to talk about the outbreak when the Daughters of Gotham come to rid the city of the oppression of patriarchy. Finally. The birds fight the Daughters, finally, when one of them releases a smoke bomb. Their masks protect them, but the birds are all knocked out, and Harley, Batwoman, and Batgirl are all taken. When these three wake up at the hideout of the daughters, they come face-to-face with the leader, known as Patient Zero, who plans on killing all the men of Gotham. Next, a very clever thing here, XX fights for XY. Okay, got some. I'm proud to be the home of a Y chromosome. Wow. So... When we do our 10, 11, 12, thir- our 13th anniversary, I don't know I'm saying our. When I do my 13th anniversary, let's try to reflect back and see if you ship Cass with Clayface. <laughs> Who knows where our lives will be at that point. Yeah. I mean, you and Don could be married and having that little awful, awful sorus for all I know. You really have a, a low opinion of us, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you think that'd be it'd be it's two men and a child? Four years from now, that'll be the year uh, twenty twenty. No, 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 twenty twenty one. Sounds like a manga that somebody would write. My two dads said the dinosaur. (laughs) 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 It's like uh, the Family Guy thing. Like my black son, also he's a ninja. (laughs) 
Maybe the Dilophosaurus always goes to the principal's office because it's spitting on kids at school all the time. <laughs> so it's sexual harassment? <laughs> I thought we were over sexual harassment. That's what we we made that whole impassioned speech at the beginning of the podcast. Like, man. Dinosaur <laughs> harassment? And it's my son? <laughs> all our son. <laughs> I would be pushing you guys so hard if we were in the same room. <laughs> shut up. Shut up. I'll kill you. <laughs> It's funny because you know what Don like said to me like a few years ago. He's like, I won't go to Florida. I hear all this bad stuff on the news about like what happens. And he comes to Florida and he gets knocked up by the lovers. I was right. What, he didn't expect to happen. Okay. Anywho, here's my first question for you. Yes. Do you think this is uh okay? Do you think that there? What? Oh, you don't remember, do you? <laughs> I wrote. <laughs> Shush. I'm just trying to figure out what I wrote here. Did you, does this have something to do with any dinosaurs? Okay. No, I get, no, no, no. Do you think that this is a good storyline to have this number of characters in the Birds of Prey team? Or do you think that there are maybe too many characters? I don't necessarily consider every single character here part of the Birds of Prey. Uh, to me, it's like... They're just allies. Yeah, Batgirl's in the Birds of Prey plus uh, all the other uh, major women characters in DC Comics. That's the way I see it. Because they don't really say, you know, do they say in here, for this mission, you guys are honorary members? Or is it just... No, but I just sort of consider them all Birds of Prey just for, you know, this mission. I mean, I, I'm not, I guess, them being in the team. But, like, the way I look at it, it's like the Birds of Prey team up with, you know... The, the Gotham City Sirens, Wonder Woman, Spoiler, Orphan, um, Gotham Girl, and many more in the lowest lanes. So, so it's, to me, I mean, it's, if the question is, is, is um, saying, like, what do I think about all these members? It would be cool if they were members, but I didn't necessarily see it that way. Not but, all of them. But, sure, why not? You know, do you think the there are story. too many people running around in the, in this particular story? Or do you think it's okay that the story is big enough that it allots for that amount of space? Well, I, I'll, can I answer that question with a question? Sure. Do you think there should be a limit on how many members there should be in the Birds of Prey? Should it be a kind of a small group? I don't think there should be a limit. I like the more I like the smaller, more intimate number just because I think you're able to focus on their relationships and building them with each other and also individuals where it needs. And I think when you get big teams, you sort of lose track of that. You know, for instance, like the Justice League, you might not be able to focus on them as much. Uh, so, no, I don't think there should be a limit. I just prefer a smaller cast. And if you were the, where they go camping with Babs and her school at the end, that would have not had the same intimacy if it, if like four other people like showed up at the same time. Yeah. That's a good point. I think, I think that like you can develop character relationships when it is smaller. If you kind of, if this is the beginning of a, of a larger BOP, you really want the, you want, the, you want there to be relationships rather than just, Oh, they're in this book because, because what I really don't like about team books is if characters are on a team for no reason in the just to sell comics and there's no real there's no real interplay with them it's like oh we're gonna you know we're gonna like like i'm reading the champions from marvel and what i really like about that book is it reminds me a lot of young justice where every character had a relationship and, and a dynamic with other characters it wasn't just oh spider-man's in this book just because oh he's in like you know the uncanny avengers just because like i that is like what i don't like about team books and what i do like about team books is that they're there for a reason for a story reason for a character reason not for now this is this is plot related so it doesn't necessarily apply to this issue but i think that like if they were, if the bensons were going to move this way forward then i hope that they have the the right idea to make it character based rather than just wonder woman and the birds of prey that'll, that'll be kind of that'll be kind of weak i i like this because if if 
it's obviously for this arc and this arc kind of almost feels like a celebration of like you know the top tier women in the dc universe you know uh like you you have including like lois lane who was like the first major dc universe girl in fact this honestly felt like an alternate like universe version of dc superhero girls because like aside from supergirl and bumblebee like all the major players are there including principal amanda waller like it's just like (laughs) it's like the more adult version of that you have like wonder woman harley quinn and like lois lane is like doing the same thing that like she did in there like just like bursting in shoving microphones at people's places like she did in dc superhero girls she even kind of looks like she does from there but you know I, i i liked it you know it's it's a good celebration of the women of like the Gotham sent, you know, like corner of the DC universe and, and some of their friends, you know, and then like everyone's like spouting like, you know, one line about like what their current, you know, like storyline is like Gotham girls, like, you know, my brother died, you know, and, and, sure. and thanks for the spoilers. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm angsty because of, you know, the events of detective comics, which yeah. I, I figured she'd be over because like, you know, um, uh, she, Tim rejoined the team and he's alive now, but yeah. This this came out before that. Yeah. Um, Lonely Place of Living was happening when this came out. I thought, but she didn't know he was back until yeah. All- issue. They didn't reveal to her. No, but like in the current issue, like the last issue, uh, Tim. But Tim that's Seeker. after this issue was published. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I yeah I agree with you. I think it works because this storyline is so big and there's so many avenues and. I guess, missions that the individual characters could go on, which I think the Benson sisters use well because each of them, they're sort of splitting up into smaller groups and they're each visiting a particular person and doing their own little thing. So I think it works. I think perhaps if it were smaller and not as great a scale as Gotham, then maybe it'd be too many, but it seems like we're going to be shrinking the team down anyways with the the group that was kidnapped since only three were, were kidnapped. So, which weeds, which is a good transition to my next question, because I wonder why. Why do you think Harley Babs? Well, <laughs> well, yeah, Harley Babs and Kate are the three that are taken. Why those three? And because not- Harley Quinn is one of the most popular characters in the DC universe now. Like, did you hear that they're giving her like an original like uh, animated series? I did not hear this. Yeah, it's going to be like an adult like cartoon that's going to air on the um, DC streaming service and it's going to um, be about her breaking up with the Joker and building her own life and like, you know, she don't need no man but she needs poison ivy. Is are they friends or are they in a relationship? Um, I mean the show's not out yet. It's it's, it's not clear but like oh. it's being developed and like, you know, uh so which doesn't surprise me too much because again, like Harley Quinn is probably like you know, next to Wonder Woman, like in the year 2017, the most popular like DC universe female character to the point where like Batman Day was Harley Quinn Day this year. And that's like, right. so that, that, <laughs> that that's just the nature of the beast. I think, um, I think, I think, to answer Josh's question, I think that um, I think I think he's right. I think that like like um, Batwoman's popular Batgirl is, is the head of the book and Harley's popular. I don't know if there's any. At this point, I don't, I don't see a, a larger reason than that. I do wonder if I can see that, I guess. Let's go with some big people. But I wonder if maybe they were taking because they are perhaps the three Gotham natives compared to everyone else. Because, well, I guess Gotham Girl a little bit. But Wonder Woman, not so much. No one cares about Gotham Girl. Lois, not so much. Yeah, I know. Spoiler. You know, I wouldn't really think. So I almost wonder if maybe they take these three because they've lived in and grown up in gotham and so maybe patient zero feels like they can get them on their side um 
I don't know. Well, it also means that, like, when the rescue mission happens, you could have the rest of the Birds of Prey, like Dinah and Huntress, be a part of that. That way it's mm-hmm. – because this is the Birds of Prey book, not the DC Superhero Girls book. So right. it keeps it a Birds of Prey story mm-hmm. because it's the others going after Barbara, you know. And even though Poison Ivy and Catwoman are, I guess, kind of – are Poison Ivy and Catwoman officially on the team now? Like, like are, are we saying that? Because they've been in the I last, like, arc. I don't – yeah, they were on the last arc as, like, sort of – I don't know. But yeah. what was weird, but the, the tr- transition between the last arc is that they were helping out in that one. But then all of a sudden, you know, Catwoman's up to no good here, and they automatically go against Ivy because they think Ivy caused it all. So I, I don't really think so. I think they might be little side members that they might call on. They were also in that eight. camping issue, too. That's right, yeah. So, yeah. like, like, yeah, the, so like they've been out, in the yeah. last, like, bunch of arcs. Yeah, so I imagine sort of the vintage Birds of Prey where you had the core and then you had some other people like Power Girl or Lois or Catwoman, you know, would pop in if need be, but they're not permanent members. That's what I imagine is happening. Do you think that this is a good time or a bad time for this particular story given everything that's going been going on with men in power in real life? That's an interesting question. I, I I don't think that any sort of situation currently would preclude. Oh, you know, you should you know you shouldn't tell a story about sexism. I think I was I was a little concerned at the end when like you know where the villains are fighting patriarchy and you know the the women heroes are are having to stop them, but the fact that this is being written by women kind of saves that because yeah. if this if, if this was I I just I just. There, there's a very big "not all men" speech at the end of like the the issue, which like if that was written by a man, I'd be a little more uncomfortable. Well, I mean, I, I just, I just, this is, a, I just got over. Uh, Harry and I did an episode on like the final episode of the original series of Star Trek, which was misogynist BS, and it really, it it really kind of screams this was written by a man. Whereas in this one, if this was written by a man and a man is pretty much dictating, you know, what constitutes as a quote unquote good woman and a bad woman, that really wouldn't fly. But because this is women and they're input, you know, and it's two it's two writers, so they're inputting their their perspectives into this sort of politic. I am much more relaxed in terms of like where this might go because I'm more inclined to listen to their voices rather than what a man's opinion would be. And so I, I think it's fine. I think that I think that like sexism and, and gender inequality should always be talked about. I, I don't really believe in you know this is no time to talk about that. But I think that, but and I think that like it's even better because we have not one but two women. Although they are sisters, giving their perspectives on how these superheroes would uh, go up against types of enemies like this. And I like some of the touches, like Montoya saying, you know, like 75% of the police force is out. But hey, crime's down by 90%. And I was like, ha, huh. it's funny because that's what actually what would happen. Oh, well, yeah, that's kind of a take that, but at the same time. Yeah, but, 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 but it worked. It, it was interesting. And I didn't feel like the men were, like, written to be, like, jerks in this, too, because, like, you know, you, you have Batman, like, true the character. He's, like, trying to, like, help, you know, even though he's, like, on the floor, like, dying. I can see this being going very, very, very wrong in the Bronze Age. Could you imagine if, like, Silver Age, like, like Wonder Woman oh. and Supergirl were fighting women who are, who, like, who are radical feminists against patriarchy? That would be one of the worst issues they could have ever done. Uh, especially because with the attitudes about women that, like, some of those writers had. Like, I was telling Don before that, like, Denny O'Neill, like, he wrote um, a Patsy Walker story in, like, the 60s where, like, he, he didn't think that women knew how cars worked. And like what a what an odometer was. Who was the guy who said that like when Jeanette Kahn was hired at DC, he threw up? 
Oh, um, somebody Orlando, I forget. Steve yeah. Orlando. Yeah, or it, it might have been. Yeah, it's I, I don't remember, but yeah, I write. I, I, oh no, was, no, no, Steve Orlando writes. Uh, writes. Um, Joe Orlando. Or something? Yeah, Joe Orlando's the guy. From, yeah, not sorry, Steve Orlando. I met him. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was that, like, that, that, I don't think, given what I know about him, that he would uh, do that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Joe Orlando. Sorry. I think what's nice about it is that you do have these extremists, right, that want the world. But I think the birds of prey almost are the level-headed feminists, I think, because we're not going to solve the problems of the world or get equality if we mass execute all of the men because then we're just on a pedestal of our own we, we don't there's no equality we're just the only ones so i think you know the birds of prey are trying to to get rid of this ideal and like fight for really what feminism is is to just be equal in all things and be considered equal i, I think i agree with both of you that it works really well that we have uh two female writers and i think that they're coming at this well but i'm interested to see what patient zero's story is and where she's coming at this from because i wonder if it's like a place of trauma or where she's getting this idea and they'll be interesting to see the three that are captured talk to her because harley is clearly not the one that i would want to talk to me and you know as like a pro feminist agenda given her relationship with uh the joker Jay. Yes, um, but you know, I think Batwoman and Batgirl are, are certainly, I think, two people <laughs> at it from two different perspectives, but on a good level. So I'm interested to see what that conversation is going to look like, and I hope there is one. You know what? Should, you, know, you know what they should have done. Of course, this is Batgirl and the Birds of Prey, so it wouldn't be. But this is the, this is the first. Don't do it, Josh. This is the first. What? Um, what? Uh, <laughs> don't do what? Sell a clear your throat. Oh, okay. <laughs> this is the first comic that I'm aware of where we have. Batgirl, spoiler, and Cassandra Kane. Mm-hmm. If they had got, if they were the three ones that had been kidnapped at the end, I thought that, that would have been pretty. Yeah, like a generation with with Helena too. Helena no. too. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean no? <laughs> okay, for... what do you mean no? See that he does that all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Wait, what do you... In fact, because I'm I'm looking at that. This Where did Cassandra Kane's costume come from? The designer. <laughs> And, and who did they design it for originally? I'm not arguing with this. It's not a point I, I disagree with. And, and, and oh yes, all the Batgirls, all of them, as Flamebird sits, you know, by her phone, all alone, staring at it, <laughs> waiting for the call, like just like in that one Teen Titans issue where like she did that. I mean, but but there, even even like, like yeah, I'm looking at this one page where it has Babs, Kate, Dinah, Helena, Stephanie, and Cassandra, and, and actually they're all except for uh, the Canary, they're all kind of all back. Bat women, and this is a Birds of Prey comic, basically, so it's not necessarily a necessity. But I thought that would have been an interesting thing, and I, and I was thinking about not all, not every woman here is the same age, quite frankly. Not that that's a big deal, but like it does, it is more of a diversity, right? So you have mm-hmm. older women like Catwoman, like Wonder Woman, like Lois Lane, like like Renee Montoya, and, I, and I, in my opinion, on Poison Ivy. And then you have like you know younger women like uh, Kate and Barbara. Then you have like you know sort of the teenagers like Spoiler and Cassandra. I, I, I think that there could have been a bit more, and that's not a, not a negative. I, I think there could have been a bit more sort of like interplay because of those differences. And I, um, I, I think this is a good, good idea for the story that, that has a lot of potential. That, that I think uh, goes beyond maybe just one more part. I'm not sure if it's going to wrap up in the next issue or not. And while there's not a lot, there is some racial diversity there as well too, which is nice. But just Cass and um, Helen are. I think I still don't know what Helen is. I mean, like, is she Italian? I think- black? I believe she's black, but I don't think she's. I believe that she is of multiple um, ethnicities. Biracial. I believe so. I mean, it could be more. I don't know. That's why I didn't say biracial. But yeah. Uh, well, any other thoughts before we give our rating on Birds of Prey? 
Uh, it, it's, you know, just going off of what Don said, like, there was this one panel where, like, Cassandra Kane and, like, Stephanie Brown were, like, in the same panel fight and so on, and I just had, you know, my event Nicole Brown voice saying, oh, that's nice, Aww. you know, like, <laughs> I really, really, you know, like, like I, I, I was loving this book, the fact that, like, these two characters work together, not only these two characters, but, like, you know, so many other people, I'm just looking at, um, you know, little notes in there. Um, yeah, yeah, I think I covered all the notes that I had about it. And it's a story where at first I was like, all oh, the men are being, you know, hit by this disease. I was like, I wasn't really sure where it was going to go. But now that it's expressively political, I'm a lot more interested. And this is one of those things where it's like these characters are in the forefront. I mean, even care, I don't really care about Gotham Girl, but those who do, they can oh. find her here. No, I, I don't hate her. I, I don't, I don't. Stop trying to make Gotham Girl happen. She's not going to happen. That is so fetch. Gretchen, stop trying to make fetch happen. It's not going to happen. Well, uh, oh, dear. Thanks, Mean Girl. I think, I think the only thing I don't love is... Bite me. <laughs> I, don't, I don't love... Um, and this is a personal thing, but like Poison Ivy... I, I know that they're trying to kind of make her less of a villain because she's in DC... DC girls and all that kind of stuff, but like, you know, Batgirl says no killing Montoya. I don't. I think Poison is much more of her own character rather than a follow the leader kind of character, and that rubs me the wrong way. That's like my only criticism of this issue. I, I don't. I, I don't mind Poison Ivy being redeemed because it gives her some uh, characterization, and you know, it expands upon as opposed to just being like I want everyone to die thing. I think it gives her more pathos to see her, you know, trying to be good. I don't know. I, I've been really thinking about Poison Ivy a lot, and I think whenever I encounter I get more and more excited, so I think she is possibly my favorite Batman villain as as far as, you know, what I've read and everything. And I enjoy the different aspects of her, and I, I do like this, at least that she's, she's not necessarily a hero through and through because she still has her own agenda, but when called upon, she can still help out, and I think that's, to that extent, that's as much as she can offer, and I'm fine with that. She worked, because we've done the Ivy as a hero on the Birds of Prey before with uh, Dwayne Straczynski's run. Oh, yeah. But, uh, if you recall, but, you know, that obviously didn't end well, because, you know, again, she had her own agenda. So, I think if she can give us some goodness for, like, a temporary period, then I think it works. I think you have to start questioning her place on the team if, if it's a more permanent position. Yeah, that's actually a good point. And I, I think it was... I was not surprised when she betrayed them in BOP because I she's one of my favorite villains too. I I really love Poison Ivy, but I do love her because like um a lot of the comics I've seen her in, a lot of the stories in the Batman anime series, all kinds of like that. She's been really evil, and it's been kind of a really yeah. kind of like focused kind of thing. Like like in Nightfall and that Paul Dini, I always go back to that Paul Dini story where she tells Batman, you know, I'm not a good person. I'm never going to be because I don't want to be like, and you know, different writers, whatever. I'm, I'm not. I say I don't like her being a redemptive arc or being better, but like sometimes it's a little too pat. Whereas like you know, oh, I, I would never do that. Where I've seen her be very vicious, and to me, it's it's not such an evil or a simple thing to make her a good guy in one issue and then a bad guy in the next issue. It, it kind of needs to be its own like clayface arc, I think. And don't forget too, Catwoman for decades was also evil and like you know really like no redemption, and she that that's been turned around now. But in fairness. Catwoman didn't like kill people on a regular basis the way that Poison Ivy has done at points of her career. Yeah, we brought up in the in the doing our Gotham Chronicle that like I don't I think Poison Ivy even when she was a villain didn't of course she tried killing Batman and all that kind of stuff. But I don't I don't think she killed anybody until like post crisis. 
Well, no one really did that much killing until like you know the Bronze Age post crisis. But like, I mean, Catwoman would try to kill people, um, you know. But like, I mean, she tried to kill Batman, and so would Poison Ivy. And again, Catwoman now like she's such an anti-hero ever since the Bronze Age, where they like made her Bruce Wayne's girlfriend for the first time. That like they never really went back to like her being you know like a straight up villain, even when they tried to for a little bit after uh, after Crisis. What's well, something too? Because because Poison Ivy has certainly killed people, so it's it's weird for me to see her like you know, hang, like, like oh hey Batgirl, you need me to help you out with something. It's like, what, aren't you? Do you want to come? Do you want to come to our house and watch Netflix afterwards? But like you know, yeah, I, that, that, that kind of got me the wrong way to be honest. But the but the Batman family, you know, they are about redemption. You know, they do want to redeem people. Yeah, so when they're being written right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and that's what people say that, like, Adam West Batman was about, like, he was about, like, you know, re- he wanted his villains to ultimately be redeemed at the end of the day. So, you know, not like, you know, rot in a cell in Arkham for the rest of your life. In fact, like, if maybe Poison Ivy can, like, you know, marry an old college professor and, you know, and become a stepmother of the two boys named Chris and Kelly and live happily ever after. <laughs> Chris and will. Kelly are girls. I love that episode. Okay. Uh, ratings on Birds of Prey number 16. Back on the Birds of Prey number 16. Hey. Out, of, out of birds, right? Oh, yeah. Out of birds. Nine out of ten. I will give it a 7.5 out of ten. I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. I thought it was a little slower than the previous one. And just those several, even though I think it was necessary to show what the purpose of each of those characters and is and what they are doing i feel like there was so many scenes of blood getting and then you know the repetition of the daughter's agenda which i suppose is necessary for cults and things you have to repeat what they're against and what they're for those sorts of things. every cult i've been a part of has been like that i bet i bet i did like the fact that um the one guy who was kind of like awake for all this was oliver queen <laughs> I thought, I thought that was kind of amusing. Yeah. Which is weird because he was dead yeah. in the last story that we covered on this podcast. Now he's a okay, yeah. but dying again. Yep. Yeah. Well, we're going to move on into our next issue, and Don's going to take the reins on this one. And as you're following along, if you've got your comic, you can look, at, keep your peepers open for some coloring errors. And I didn't even notice it, but Carolyn Coca, the professor herself, she wrote in and asked about a coloring error. And I looked back, and there actually are some mistakes made in issues 15 and 16 where the bat on past Batgirl's chest is black and then suddenly yellow. Oh, yeah. I feel like this might be because it was probably confusing for the colors to constantly be shifting back and forth between the past and the present because the present costume does have a yellow bat. But the past costume is also inaccurate if we consider the New 52 <laughs> issue as canon because that costume has yellow gauntlets a black bat, and black boots, whereas here we're seeing yellow gauntlets, yellow boots, and a black bat. So either way, there's some sort of mix-up, but there is some inconsistency there. So if you're paying attention at home, you can look out for that. But now on Well, to- maybe the costume evolves, just like um, Batman's one did at the beginning of the Brotherhood of the Monkey Fist story, where, like, it changed colors depending on the environment. No. <sighs> yeah, I know. Thanks for saying that. Okay. Batgirl number 17, Summer of Lies Conclusion. This is the oh, part 404 of the Batgirl and Nightwing. It's not even a crossover. Nightwing just appears in this uh, as they're battling the Red Queen. And it's this sort of like bifurcated story that tells of terror from the past where Batgirl and Robin 
went up against the Mad Hat. Was the Mad? Yeah, it was the Mad Hatter uh, in the past, yeah. and um, interacted with this character named Ainsley. So then, in that past, as I'm dabbing towards it, Batgirl and Robin have arrived at Mad Hatter's hideout, and they see Ainsley. Batgirl calls her up by name and is desperate to save her because Ainsley's in talk with uh, Mad Hatter because she's uh, secretly a, a recovering drug addict. Um, while Robin takes on the goons, Batgirl chases Mad Hatter into a tunnel and pretty quickly gets the drop on him, although he does stab her with this... Um, quill knife and says you know you can't save her she's a drug addict and she's nothing but a drug addict and you're codependent you want to save her toodaloo <laughs> and then that girl just like uh throws a flash bomb and beats the living crap out of him <laughs> like she she is this is one of those you know cliched things where you, you know, stop you're going to kill him oh my god I've, I've gone too far it actually reminds me of huntress and uh Dick is actually initially kind of disgusted. He's like, you know, like, when I said you had to get your hands over, this is not what I meant. There's no reason you went to this far. You crossed the line. He kind of walks onto her. But the difference between Dick and Batman is that he actually turns around and is willing to accept her apology and bring her in. So they agree to be partners. Back in the future, which is now Barbara Gordon's bedroom, Dick and Babs wake up, although Dick is sleeping on the on the floor. And they have this, yeah. this <laughs> you know we're going to get into this. They're having this really intimate scene about, you know, where they are personally, and Dick's not over his last girlfriend, even though he broke up with her. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily about the plot or, or their, their mission or their or the job they're working. It's more about how they are as people. So they get dressed into their costumes and continue their investigation, and they end up at South Burnside's Bennett's Hardware, where they're 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 face to face with the Red Queen for the first time, who turns out to be Edith Ainsley's sister, who's mad at Batgirl and Nightwing for leading to Ainsley's death. They didn't really; it's not really their fault, but this is one of those cockamamie supervillain plots where it's your fault, but it's not. She's a fight, right. A fight ensues with nanobots, which look like uh, Tachikomas from Ghost in the Shell, uh, which is the second time I've seen those in a Batgirl comic book. And one of them pricks Nightwing in his ankle and uh, turns him into the Red Queen's slave. So he starts bleeding from his eyes as though it were contagion and uh, quickly attacks Batgirl on the Red Queen's orders. Batgirl surmises that she can disconnect this sort of nanobite mind control. Mm. <laughs> Batgirl surmises that she can quickly disconnect Nightwing's mind control by... Shorting out her her neural implant from the electromagnets in her glove and grabbing Dick's wrist at the same time, where he can see into her brain. Not only her brain, but like her memories from like several years in the past. Which I don't know if Barbara's thinking about that at the exact same time or it's just convenient for storytelling. But um, for the first time, Dick sees himself as Barbara saw him when he was Robin, um, which I think is kind of cute. She loses. She instantly loses her ability to walk. <laughs> I probably shouldn't laugh at that, but I am. So they uh, attack Red Queen as the Red Queen turns into her final form in this sort of cybernetic robot fighter. And um, they defeat her, and she's kind of crying over her sister. We go back in the past again, and we see that Ainsley just never really kicked her drug habit. She's starting to kind of cut work. She was trying to avoid jail. She would kind of stay with Barbara. She would have overdose. And Robin, in the past, shows up and says, you know, I heard about your friend. I'm sorry. And Barbara's like, I just don't want to think about her. So Dick thinks, okay, well, think about this and kisses her. But uh, she's like, I'm sorry. You know, I, I don't think this is the right time. And, you know, I, I really like you as a friend. And Robin says, Babs, 
you're my best friend. So we go back to these best friends as Nightwing is massaging her feet to kind of get the feeling in her legs again. And we basically cut in, in the story with Edith in Anna's and Asylum is probably Arkham, Backer, or Barbara and Robin hugging. And we cut to a vague reference to Dark Knight Returns where Batgirl and Nightwing swing off into the sunset or, sun, or, or sunrise. I don't know. Moonrise and or whatever. Next issue, Home for the Holidays. So, yeah, this is, <laughs> I'm glad I have this issue because this has been a fun one. If you remember from past episodes of Batgirl the Oracle, Stella had strong feelings about how the story opened. Uh. <laughs> yeah, she did. And um, Yes, I know. I don't know denying it, of course. <laughs> and, and, I, and I, you know, we all know why, because this is the biggest Batgirl and Robin. I, I think this is the biggest Dick and Bab shipping we've gotten in a long time. It's a, it's an ongoing arc. It's not just a single issue of them of her being mad at him. I maintain that this is the first time we've seen them kiss since Nightwing Annual Annual Two, which in itself was a flashback story mostly, and certainly since you know they were like engaged. But uh, this has been a big shipping story between Dick and Babs, and I think there are good there are ups and downs to it. I will and and I reread the entire story and kind of remember what the uh, the through line was for the plot. Uh, first, I'll ask you guys, and I'll ask Stella first because it's her show. What did you think of? the working relationship between Nightwing and Batgirl, specifically Batgirl, and how, now that the story's over, how did you think uh, the flashbacks between Robin and Batgirl were done in terms of them fighting crime together? I think overall, I, I've, it's ups and downs for me, ups and downs, because there, it seems like there are moments that it's a great team-up, and then there are moments that there's weird stuff going on, and I don't like it. Like, why in the world is he sleeping over at her house? <laughs> it's very strange. I thought it was, like, something important, but I guess she just needed some shit there. I'll, I'll, I'll get into that in the next question. Okay. That Yeah, that'll be good. I'll, I'll start with the past first. I think with the past, it started off rocky, obviously, because uh, Dick was true to his namesake, right, as people like to say. But then it developed really well that they did have this trust, and I think there's that very intimate moment where um, they change in front of each other, and it's not that they're getting naked, but it's the fact that he actually reveals his identity to her, and they're able to, you know, call each other and work on the same thing. But then they have a low point where... Batgirl wants to go ahead and fight, and Robin's like, no, and then Batgirl leaps. Like, she's always taking a couple of steps ahead of what he's actually saying and says, you know, are you saying I'm not capable? You need to call Batman and that sort of thing. So she gets a little intense and heavy. But overall, I think the past one started off from, like, a really bad place and developed uh, to a pretty good standing relationship and friendship, which is what I imagine it would be. The present one, I think, is a little less consistent because, like I said, weird stuff, I think, is happening. Batgirl is beating herself up and Nightwing's not necessarily really helping. There's the weird touching that happens throughout, but then if there's a kiss, he pushes her away. So I don't know why, you know, he's running his hands through her hair. How they were, If you're to take away all shipping and how they work together... It's, I don't think it's as strong as the past relationship. It just seems like there's so much baggage somehow involved that it makes their partnership strained. So I don't really like the present 
working relationship as much as I do the past. And as I actually thought when I was given the solicitations, it was a bunch of big nothing because at the end they go their separate ways. Of course it was. (laughs) They have their own separate titles that they got to do. And and Dan Dio hates this relationship. So I I was never under the impression that they were going to end up together anyway. I was surprised we got this much. What about you, Josh? Uh, so repeat your question again in its original form. What did you think about how Nightwing and Batgirl? Because that's always a rare thing for me to see Nightwing and Batgirl. But what, how, how did you yeah. think thought they worked together as crime fighter partners? And how did you think Robin and Batgirl worked in the in the, in the flashback? Scene? I did not like the interaction in the flashback at all because first of all, he's being like overly judgmental on her, like. You went – like she acts like she killed – he acts like she killed Mad Hatter. He's like, you went too far, Barbara. And he like you know walks away like, I'm so disgusted by you. And instead of Barbara being like, OK, screw you and your high horse, she's like, wait, I'm sorry. Come on. I, I messed up, Robin. It won't happen again. Like she's like begging wow. him and like and is pouting and he's like, OK, I forgive you, partner. You know, like it's – I did not like that dynamic at all. Like he shouldn't be high horsing her like that and she shouldn't be taking his crap like that. Like compare that to Batman family number one where he tries to do that to her and she just rolls her eyes, kisses him to like throw him off and like swings away. Now, granted, the situation's different because she did just like brutalize Mad Hatter, but like, so judgmental. Yeah, so, I, don't, I don't agree with you with this at all. Oh, well, <laughs> too bad. <laughs> your point. <laughs> I don't keep company of people who get impregnated by dinosaurs, so, like... Oh, dear. Why are we even on this call, then? I think I have the So, if you, want me to, if you want me to go before I finish my, my synopsis and thoughts, now I'll just hang up the call and stop recording. No, I just meant... Why? Why is if Josh doesn't like to hang out? With no, people, like I, was, you, I, was, I, I was. I was. I was. People like Josh. me. <laughs> people like you. That's got a little grow into office horse in your tummy. Uh, in, in any case, it's uh, th- that's what I thought about their interaction. The present day stuff, you know, like was what wasn't so bad. Um, but I, I, I had no issues with. It. I, I just didn't like the past stuff. I think I'm a, a little opposite with Stella in that, like, I thought that the Nightwing and Batgirl stuff was more consistent than the Robin oh. and Batgirl stuff. Yes. Oh. Yeah, this is our yearly tradition of just me disagreeing with you guys. Although, I, I can't agree with Josh worth a damn these days. Like, we fought over, like, Ben Affleck last night for, like, 10 minutes. And then oh, yeah, we did. I forgot about Dylan. that. He's my, bat- my Batman brands, people. Okay? And my Batgirl, never mind. Uh, <laughs> but, like, um,. My Batgirl doesn't beg Dick Grayson for forgiveness. See, I don't know why that's a big deal because, like, I said that, like, it reminded me of, like, Hunter stabbing guys with crossbow bows and, like, everyone having a problem with that. Like, and, and this is one of those things that, like, I, I always kind of, like, run up against the wall with Stella. Because I, I, I emailed her saying, what is... <sighs> okay, I'll, okay, never mind. Um, no, no, no. I, this is all supposed to be dramatic and fun. Uh, Keep going. When you're doing a, an early days, you know, not used, not not experienced Batgirl, how do you how do you differentiate her from Batman and Robin, or how do you differentiate her from how she'll be later on? And I thought it was a little extreme of her to start just beating the crap out of Mad Hatter for taunting her. But and this, I, I remember this going over this with her about Batgirl Year One with, with Ed. Like I have no problem with Robin saying, "You nearly killed this guy. You lost your cool. I can't I can't partner with you anymore." Because he and Batman have this you know they have they have the experience to kind of keep their emotions in check and, sh- and as far as they know at least as far as we're given in this, in this timeline but Bat- batgirl has no 
you know, she's she's just not on the same level of, of experience uh, that that justifies her being out in the streets in a costume if she can't keep her keep her, her temper in check. He could have reprimanded her in a much better way, though. But she nearly killed a guy. Oh, here we go with that thing again, too. This yeah, but a, 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 a Batgirl <laughs> situation all over again. It, it's who a situation all over again? The Batman Batgirl story that I did. Well, she she's not saying jackpot to horses. I mean, no, no, no. Corpses, not horses. How did she even get set off in the first place? All he does is call her codependent, and it it's, just like it's sets because, her off. I didn't. It's because I, I, I agree it's because with you. Revealed that Ainsley was was a willing participant. Oh, I, I, I agree with you. Still, that like that, I thought that was forced. Her losing her temper that fast. I I didn't. That's not how I would have written that. But from that situation, if she is, you know, like be, like look at her. <laughs> like the guy's like his blood is souping all over her knuckles. Like he's a bloody. I mean, like. I don't get why we have to like pretend that Robin was out of line when he says, "Stop! You're going to kill him." And like, and like, when you consider it's the, the way it's the way he said it, what would you rather, rather have him do? Like, say, wag his finger, says, "Could you stop that, please?" Be more, be be, be more comforting. Like, save Mad Hatter's life. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't. You hate I'm the Mad Hatter. On, we went over this on Gotham. <laughs> I'm not on the same page as uh, Joshua Bertoni, my um, my co codependent yeah. life partner, and I don't even know what to call you. The partner of our child, Jonathan. Um, I just don't. I think I would. <laughs> I would. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, I just. I would expect. Yeah, shush. I would expect Robin to give her more of a brow beating. I would expect it to go on, but all of a sudden he, like, turns, right? It's like a five-second thing, and he's like, but it's okay, and they make up very quickly. I expect him to be forceful, but continue in that force. In my opinion, like, I've seen so many scenes of of this with Huntress, where Huntress is extreme violence and that kind of stuff, and they say, next time, if I see you doing that again, I'm going to arrest you. And to me, join the Justice League. (laughs) Okay, fair fair point. But, like, to me, Batman, if, if Batman was in the scene, he would have, like, Unmaster and like send her home. Robin just walks away. I don't think Robin's being out of line or browbeat. I, I don't. I just don't think there's a problem. I with think that. he should. Don't you think he should be more forceful? I think that's just, that, that shows the difference between Bruce and Dick. I think that Dick is willing to forgive. Mm-hmm. Batman wouldn't be. But I think that like because of Dick's training, because that he works with Batman, he's equally he, like like he's rightfully and equally disgusted with the extreme violence. I, again, I agree. I think that's. Batgirl should not have been brought to that point, but like I, had, I thought it was a good scene because to me, if, if if Dick didn't do that, I would have thought that was you know wrong for you know their their experience levels. But I, I thought it was fine. I, but I, I do think it was forced. I think that in terms of like how Batgirl and Robin work, it does kind of go up and down. Where Nightwing and Batgirl have this sort of this, this experience, but I, for some reason, and I don't know if it's because they're working in Burnside, maybe it's because of that. But Nightwing kind of just defers to her automatically, and. They, they're, they're working on a case that they both work, so I, I don't know why he kind of like uh, gave her def- he kind of gave her deference, and um, it was like her play the entire time. Whereas, and because just reading the Chuck Dixon, she had step, more of a stake in the Ainsley thing. I suppose so. I mean, I, I, I suppose that, that that could be the argument, but um, it felt weird, like 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 as, as though I, I I felt. And this, I think he also accepts that Barbara is smarter than him on some things too. Well, I, th- I think that like to me. Hope Larson kind of comes off as putting putting Barbara over in a way which doesn't feel organic, and you know that's not me saying like, you know I don't like Barbara Gordon because not to play favorites, but I feel that like um, Brennan Fletcher uh, would have made it a, a, a bit just just less kind of like um, conspicuous to me, 
where it's like you know every time Nightwing and, and Batgirl go in, it's, it's like Nightwing is, is Batgirl's Robin. Whereas there's, there's, I feel this should be more equal because um, it, it is supposed to be like the op- the opposite of a. Uh, I guess it is kind of the opposite of Robin and Batgirl. But um, I thought that the, the the past stuff was kind of up and down. I liked some scenes like like I didn't mind. I actually kind of liked like part two where they kind of went to that party. I thought that was kind of cute. Um, and I kind of I don't like how Batgirl loses her temper, but I do like the Robin and Batgirl scene where he does get mad at her, but he does forgive her. But it is up and down, I think. Number two, Stella, why did you not like the <laughs> Dick singing at her, at her at her on her floor? Um, and Dutch- it was weird. What do you mean? It's weird. Why she? You know, she answered. She's like, I need some. Can you please come to my house? And that number one, I was like, what on earth is happening there? But I thought maybe I don't even know what she needed him for. I'm but sure we now, all thought know, they were going to have sex by this issue. I know that's what I thought. I didn't think that's what it was. The way <laughs> And then he gives her the like, invitation to his wedding again. Like, get, off every single, get off of this. Every house. single time. The, the way that she asked him, I thought it was something important or like she needed, I don't know, like a group effort and like to talk to her dad. I don't know what's about to go down. But this is not what I was expecting. And then I was like, why? Why is he sleeping over? Why is there a need? It's not like they're doing an all-nighter and they're going to have to go and fight Mad Hatter in the morning. There was no need for it. It was weird. Their body language in that first panel where like they both wake up is like – like they they both look like they're woke. They woke up from a drunk night together. Like Barbara has like that shame look. Like what have I done? And Dick has that same look from the side of his face, even though they didn't actually sleep together. They, they, that is kind of, I'll give you that. Um, I, I okay. I've I've done this before, where I've slept at the floor of someone's bed, like been this in the same room. I actually thought this is a really intimate scene that felt right for the characters. I thought that I yeah, but were you on a mission? No. Did you need to take a break from the mission? Were you going to pick up the mission right then and there at the beginning of the morning? <laughs> he could have just stayed somewhere out. Like I, I need to turn my volume down because you're yelling at me so loud. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Well, what, I, what, what I would say is that, like, I'll give you that, like, the, like I, the way the last issue ended where it's like, you know, we need to stop Red Queen. But first, can you come over tonight? That's not well written. But I do, I, I, I think it should have been better explained. I think the, the act of it I actually really liked it because to me, they, they, Dick and Babs have been through so much all of their like throughout their lives. Like they are very, very like whether they're together or not, they know each other more than I think anybody else does. So to me, it felt the right level of intimacy with, without going into a certain point that I thought worked, and it was very personal. Now I do, I think my one of my one of my things about this whole story is that. It feels that Hope Larson is writing a young adult book rather than a comic book with characters in a timeline, and I, yeah, some some things don't just don't gel as well as I think she wants them to. I think this could have been a much better story if it was better paced, and I feel that like I feel that like if, if um, this a better writer could have made this scene longer and a bit more easier to digest because I don't know why she needed Dick to save her at her place. I get. Yes, that's all I'm, I'm agreeing with. Yes, that's all I'm saying. It's not the act. It's just like, why is he even there? But I feel that like the act itself, I mean, like like, like the, the lack of an explanation doesn't deaden the sweetness of the act. Because it, it's, it's sort of like, you know, sort of like shared relationship kind of thing. That I enjoy. But, but Donovan, Donovan, he does it. It's too soon for him. He keeps saying this. Why would he? This is like leading her on. The kiss was leading her on. Putting his hands through her hair was leading her on. In the <laughs> he wants her hair. In the end, he wanted her. He was going to say, "I'm. It's too soon after Sean." And by the way, I'm also sleeping with Helena over in another book. Hey, but you know that's okay that I can sleep over. What? I, 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 and I think in that instance, it's the lack of, um, it's the lack of 
Hope Larson's honing with these characters in, in the comic book format that I think it lets it lets the potential down. It doesn't make me mad, but like I, I do agree that like it's not wholly complete. But like I thought that like it was it was a sweet enough scene where I, I kind of excuse that kind of stuff. But yeah, it is it is inconsistent with like what's going on with him at the time. But I, because it's because it's not him and Bumblebee or somebody. It's him and Barbara Gordon. So like that to me is like if there's any characters, two characters who would like have this kind of scene, no matter what else is going on, it would be these two. So I I, I kind of gave it a pass. And you're probably right. <laughs> I I kind of gave it a pass. Um, I've been ignoring Josh. What do, what do you think about this? I I, I don't have that the much. The best thing you ever did <laughs> tonight is ignore him. Yeah. Yes. I, I don't have that much to say about that scene like it it's kind of a weird moment but i didn't i wasn't as bothered by it as stella was i was just like oh okay this is a strange story choice and then moved on especially because she's sleeping in the he's sleeping in the bedroom too as opposed to like the couch or something like that as well like he has to have the bed right next to her so like i i didn't give it much thought that but i mean if i, I guess if i had to it's sleepover. yeah like uh i guess she needed the company because you know, this is bringing a lot of feelings back to the surface, not romantically, but I mean about the whole Ainsley affair and it, it upsets her. And like, you know, and because it upsets her, she wants that comfort from somebody who was a principal player at the time. So if I had to give it an explanation, it would be that. Would there have been other ways to do that and other ways to behave in that situation? Yes, a million of them. For whatever reason, this is what they did, though. <laughs> I think I said this before, but like Hope Larson doesn't really get into their heads, and I think that she's even said that she wouldn't do that. Um, and I think that kind of robs us with a lot of like personality because I I can imagine not to, not to play armchair writer, but I can imagine this scene opening up. I, I'm going to do that anyway. Like 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 differently, where Barbara is like coming to consciousness and she's thinking, you know, I don't know what's going on. You know, you know, I just learned that Ainsley's dead. You know, I gotta fight fight this guy or whatever. And Dick is right down in there and he's going through his things. I feel so messed up right now. And then they kind of just both both wake up and start talking about it. it I feel that it could be a, a lot more personal. But like it feels like the good idea of a scene that's not it, it, it needs a couple more drafts to be kind of like uh finessed a bit. But for what it was it was still it was still an interesting idea. If this was written 10 years ago, it would have been done a lot differently, though. Uh, They would have absolutely slept together because like Dick saying, like, I need more time. This is too soon. is so much different than like the post infinite crisis, like sexual. Yeah, like the post infinite crisis sexual tour of the DC universe that like Dick Grayson did. And that's really when when all that ladies man crap started happening, like post infinite crisis. That, that that issue where like he's in the hot tub with Corey and she's like in that bikini and he's like I'm sorry I'm not in love with you that's okay I'm gonna make out with you anyway like give me a break with that stuff DC like this is this is more emotional more human you know and Babs isn't you know like in the like a two piece bikini you know like buxingly looking at Dick like Corey was you know she's she you know she's dressed in like regular sleep clothes it's not the scene is not sexualized so. Yeah. She's look. She the script reads. She looks over at Nightwing boobily. <laughs> it's none of that. So like, um, <laughs> I, I mean, and I think that Stella's right that like he's he is Dick is leading her on quite a bit, like like messing with her hair and stuff. And like, I would agree that like he's being very wishy washy. But I feel that though that that's that's also like that's that's a flaw of his character that, that I can accept without it being badly written. Like Dick can Dick. Dick be inconsistent and flawed when it comes to Barbara because she means so much to him. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not. That doesn't really set me off. It's not as though that like it's not. It's not the same thing as Nightwing Annual Number Two, where he just straight up plays her. Oh, that story's out of continuity. 
Yes, yeah. it is. I just have high expectations is all. And so I feel like as a leader, I'm being led on as well that nothing's going to happen. So that's why I'm having an emotional response. I, I don't think that you're wrong. I, I, I asked you why you're mad and you explained it. So I don't, I don't think you're like I – don't, I, don't, I don't think your logic is, is like, you know, illegitimate. I mean, and, and in fairness, it's a very weird scene. It's a very it's a very weird thing to do. Like, even though, like, yes, you can have an explanation, you can make sense of it. That doesn't mean that it's not weird. No, I agree with that. It is kind of, it's kind of weird. Do, uh, a lot of this this storyline, I don't know if Josh, you remember if you re- relayed the last few issues, but a lot of the storyline kind of deals with the Ainsley character. I didn't Ugh. really expect. <laughs> I didn't really expect. <laughs> The uh, turn out to be that like she's dead and her vengeful sister is out for revenge and that she wants they will be getting back. Oh no, it's Ursula's evil sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is kind of a small question. Did, what, did you guys? I, I don't know how I feel about that that revelation. It, it kind of feels a little, I don't say weak, but like it feels like it's lacking an emotional depth that it doesn't deliver on. What were your thoughts on you guys on like the revelation of like who the villain was? I guess I was underwhelmed by it. I mean, I was going along with it as it was happening in the previous issue. But then the big question is sort of why? Because she was the one, if you think about it, a lot of the blame is put on her shoulders because she tattled on Ainsley, got her kicked out, you know, and put in rehab and and everything. And obviously, you know, there are different ways to go about that sort of situation. But she played a part in, in the downfall of Ainsley, and yet she's blaming it all on Batgirl and Robin and it's interesting because you know Batgirl was trying to help her consistently but her sister doesn't really see that so I I guess it's sort of guilt but she's pushing the guilt off on on somebody else and and trying to take them out on it Um, so you know I think there's some conflict there and it's very complicated what's weird though is that you know with the microbots and it then it turns into a megazord and everything you know, I, I don't know if it's as believable that Red Queen has the tech and chemical know-how for all of this. Because nope. Ainsley, and using Ainsley's knowledge is one thing, but Ainsley's not there anymore. So I kind of wonder how um, her sister really knows all of this and is able to push forward all of this information. But, it, you know, not it's certainly not whatever her name was in uh, Gail Simone's run. Can't remember her Nightfall? name right now. Ha. No, she was even better than this one. That really crazy one that was like killing people. Uh, you'd be a lot more specific than that. <laughs> yeah, I know. Or we could just say Fergie. If certainly ah. no Fergie, right? And uh, Puppeteer. No, Ventroquist 2, I guess it would be. Oh. Um, but, you know, she she wasn't my favorite. And I think there's some like weird stuff that might need to be sorted out. That makes my dinosaur clench. Furry. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, what, 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 what you <laughs> oh my, Is anyone listening to this when he says this? Josh, are you listening? I to think this? Don has come to the point where like he can either fight it or just go with the wind, and like <laughs> okay. exactly. It, we talked about this while we were in Florida. How like the reason why Don is the target of these things is because he has these bigger reactions. Like, what do you mean this thing? And like because I like brush off on them. Like the more you like fight it, the more Stella doubles down. So I think Don is changing his strategy. You know to see if it oh, to man. see if. Why do you blame it on me? What do you mean? Stella? 
Estella doubles down. He's posting a baby, like, you know, like, growth chart on Facebook? Like, yeah, <laughs> on my Facebook, my private fitness. No, Making Zach join a like, if this is a joke, guys, this is not funny. Yeah, Zach, with, with like, papers in his that, hand, like, you better have a good explanation. <laughs> I'm going to need to see you guys in my office at 5 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> at 5 o'clock. <laughs> well, I mean, marriage has um, helped so, Mellow. So back to Batgirl. What did you, th- Josh, what did you think of Red Queen? <sighs> It's funny because I think it was – it might have been Pan Pan. I'm not sure. But like whoever Stella had for like part one of the story was like, oh, Ainsley's obviously the Red Queen. We all know that. We all yeah. see that coming. So I guess and it's he not was her. freaking wrong, Paris. Was there any – in fairness, everyone thought that. Um, was there any lead up? I don't remember to like this being Ainsley's sister. Was Ainsley's sister like mentioned before this by Ainsley? Like, Oh, yeah. In the flashback, she was mentioned like like two or three times. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, that she had Ainsley always said that it was her that had the problem. She's like, "Oh, my sister's got problems." And that was a lie. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, like my brother does. Um, <laughs> who was on that other anniversary show trying to be woken up by? <gasps> yes, he was sleeping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All of our BTO memories coming together again. You know, hobbits, brothers sleeping. Uh, it's okay. So I, I, the sister stuff completely like passed me by, and like it's been a few like months since I read those other parts. So I thought that was kind of anticlimactic but you know whatever this isn't a movie you know or like or a tv show where i sat through like 20 episodes for an anticlimactic season finale or something like that so like i don't really care it was just you know a comic storyline that didn't have the villain ending that i want to um and then she became you know like a mega it, it, donovan said microbots and it reminded me of like the whole like big hero six thing too so there was that. But yeah, she was a means to an end. And oh, and Ainsley's been dead this whole time. I bet you weren't expecting that. I I, I couldn't really bring myself to you. And to be honest, I never really cared for the Ainsley character in the first place, truth be told. Oh, I'm, I'm all, point about that, that but uh, oh, continue. Yeah, I, I'm just always resistant to like flashback stories that reveal like that, you know, when the hero was younger, there was this character who's never been mentioned before that figures predominantly into their emotional makeup of today. Um, you know, I didn't like it when they did it with Dick Grayson and um, uh, Post Infinite Crisis, where like it turns out his real long lost love was this like evil girl that he's like never mentioned before, like Lynn or Lee or whatever her name was. It's stuff like that. I never care for stories like that. So you know, Ainsley was you know, <sighs> I was annoyed by Ainsley going in and like she's a teacher assistant, but she lets Babs call her by her first name and they work at Olive Garden together and hang out. You know, like I I, I wasn't. I, I, I didn't mind any of that, and like I, I, I think to your point about you know sort of like retconning this important character, I think the way that they, they, they the the story goes along, I feel like I'm defending the story much more than I, I meant to, but um, it feels like she would sit in and out of Barbara's life pretty quickly, so there, it wasn't like you know Ainsley, my first love, or Ainsley, the best I always had. It wasn't you know it wasn't like that kind of thing. It's, Barbara was pretty was, upset though. Well, I feel that like because like she liked her initially, like like they had similar interests. You know, she helped Barbara get a job, or she didn't help her get a job, but like they worked together and stuff. So it it didn't feel like they were trying to sell us on you know the the all new Ainsley, you know, <laughs> Alpha. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, I have a larger point about that because I think that kind of is my final question. But but till then, Stella, what did you think when Barbara snapped off her uh, neural implant to help the uh, Nightwing? Okay. <laughs> Give me a break, which is why I groaned when you were saying this. There are things that are, like, really wacky, and they've all come out of this particular run on the book. 
Now, I'm not going to say that any run's been perfect, but I think some runs have been more explanatory and, like, it makes sense. And there's just been, like, like her little safe place that she goes to that, it, you know, I can, yeah, I can kind of get with that, but that was a little weird. But then here, all of a sudden, she's able to attach to, like, her glove to someone's arm and then send some sort of EMP and then it's able to wake somebody up. And I'm like, what? Science! What? Yeah, I don't, I don't even know if science can explain that. I just, uh, I'm, oh my gosh. And of course, yeah, all these things she's doing, it's not good for her health. This is the second time, I think, that she's been like, she's used that somehow. Yeah, the end of the Burnside, and she the has, Burnside one, yeah. Yeah, so now, you know, just constantly doing that, the chip can only take so much. I think her body can only take so much. So It shouldn't be that easy to take out, too, because wouldn't, like, if it was that easy to take out, like... Well, she's not taking it out, though. She's just, like, connecting her to uh, Nightwing with electricity. Okay, it looked like she was... I, I, it was hard to tell it's from the still art. It's in her neck. It's I was, like, trying to, like, figure out, like, did she, like, just rip it out of her neck? And if it's that easy to take out, like, what if she's on a roller coaster and she, like, bangs her head? Is she going to be, like, crippled okay. again? Like When she goes on the uh, the Hulk ride? Yeah, when she goes on the Hulk With Donovan? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I just no, because before I think she had a cut into her neck. I think saw it, but no, I it was it was another weird thing that I'm like, well, I guess I need to go with it because it's a comic book. But this doesn't seem to make sense. It's also really cheap too, because like, uh, you know, either she can walk or she can't. You know, we don't we don't want it to be the Birds of Prey show where she can just you know ping she's better again, and like, and it continues the salt of like Oracle fans who like the fact that she was a disabled hero who could still be really awesome. It's like, you know, I, I, I know I like this issue more than either of you guys, but like this time last year, I said that I'm sick of Barbara's Batgirl and I'm, I'm kind of still there because if it was, they're constantly trying to explain why she is. And, um, it's, it's kind of stuff like this where it's like, you know what? That's not funny. <laughs> um, and if you're not going to like, you know, make it kind of a bigger deal, then I don't want to really continue. I don't really want to read comics where you're going to just do that all the time. Um, and, and honestly, like, 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 I don't know why Dick sees memories of like the flashbacks that we saw in this storyline at that moment, rather than like you know her, you know, in, in other parts of her life. It, it, I mean, yeah, that's a nitpick, and I don't really care, but it, it does beg the question: <laughs> Why is that happening? Like, it should be every moment that potentially they've been with. So mm-hmm. it should have been a nice little continuity. And, and then he takes a chip, and he's like, "Barbara, this is the one that has my identity with Batman. It would really make me happy if you burn this." And they're like just like that tape story. Yeah, they, uh, that's what I was referencing. Like, and then later on, she's like, "Of course, I know who you are." You think I'm <laughs> now, my final note is that like this is actually like having reread the whole four parts. This is actually kind of a, a, like a drug story going on, and I feel that the artwork is decent for what it is, but it's kind of too nice and cuddly for this rather dark story involving a victim of drug abuse. And sort of the sort of the drug scene, and it's actually at, at, at some points rather rather violent. Like it opens up with two suicides, people die, you know, under under hypnosis. This is actually a really dark story, and the artwork doesn't really communicate that well enough. I don't I don't think. But my question is not necessarily about the artwork. My question is about like, how did you? I mean, Josh said that he didn't really care about the character, but like overall, in terms of the four part story, how did you think it worked in terms of what it was trying to do? You know, because half of it's trying to, you know, kind of like, you know, establish or reestablish the Dick and Bad's relationship. And half of it is trying to kind of, you know, say Batgirl is fight, fighting supervillains using uh, victims of drug abuse. Like, 
how did you like the story overall? And did you think that what it was trying to do was successful? Are, are you asking about the art specifically, or just the story as a whole? Uh, no, I'm not, the story. The story is the story. Oh, yeah, I, I, I wasn't really too hot on this. You know, like like I said, I, it's with me on uh, on you know previously untold tales or something like that. Like I, I'm either gonna really love them or really hate them, and that's dependent upon like how they treat the time period that they're taking place in, and. Uh, you know, this one, th- this one, unfortunately, lost me right out the gate, you know, for various reasons, you know, characterization and continuity being two of them. I think there are ways to deal with people who have and and address issues of mental health. And I think perhaps, you know, the Benson sisters did a good job with Gus. I, you know, I think they did a good job with that sort of sowing the seeds because you're not really sure what's going on. And then you find out that he's bipolar. But here you've got people who have some sort of issue being used and often meeting a very violent end, unfortunately, because you do have the, the so suicides at the beginning. You have the mental health worker going violent, and I think I think she didn't die. And then you have that whole rehab place going into chaos. So, yeah, I you know... The one, I think it's more successful seeing this pass between like an untold tale of Nightwing and Batgirl. I think that works. I think the other side of it um, with the, the drugs and everything, I don't know if it was as successful because it was used, but they were treated in a poor way. And I don't know if it, like if the focus were more on Ainsley and her issues, then I think perhaps it would have been more successful. But before because it's darting back and forth between the present and the past and you don't even know what Ainsley's issues are until the last quarter of the book to a certain extent it's hard to get a good read on whether it's successful or not let me ask this Stella, out of this, out of this story sort of the opposite of, of the question or at least it's sort of the opposite intention what did, you, what did you like about this story if anything? Oh, this story? Well I, t- I tried to be more opt- positive, I liked the previous issue and then when I reread them, I said that it was more cohesive. This issue or the whole story? This whole story. I liked... <laughs> Gosh, putting me on the spot, sir. I like the, the whole idea of the team-up is lovely. I like seeing Dick and Babs together. Whether it played out the way that I wanted it to, no, not necessarily. But I did like seeing them together and doing investigation. I liked uh, the Mad Hatter scenes. I thought that those were well used, and I think it, it had he been used more, I think it, maybe it would have been a more successful story. But I think, especially with the art and how psych- psychedelic it seemed and everything, and then Mad Hatter um, in this particular issue and Batgirl tricking him and popping up out of you know that dark hole and everything. So there are positive aspects. I just don't know if like... The follow-through on especially the Ainsley stuff and then, of course, Dick and Babs work. They're just pieces that don't seem to come together well. I think that's fair. And I, I, was, I wasn't trying to shame you for, for having an opinion on the story. I, I, I apologize for that. I feel that like there's a lot of goodwill with this story in terms of what Larson's just trying to do. But I don't think she's having – she just has the comic book writing – not to say this only a comic writer can do this, but I, I don't think she has the storytelling skills to really get across – What's trying to do successfully for A to be recognizable and for B to be successful. I think that like a different artist should be on this book. Like I don't I like their artist, but like when I reread it, it's like this artist doesn't work because it's just too dark. Yeah, I did there there are continuity issues, you know, like, like Barbara and, and Dick just should not they should just get, get their age straight. She should not be the same age as him or in high school. But like um 
But you know what? I, what I appreciate from the story that I think is is being missed here, honestly, is that and I heard this before that like Dick and Babs have had a really tumultuous relationship. I would say since post-Sifter Crisis, and it's only gotten worse since New Fifty Two. This is the first story. Even even worse than the Burnside era. Like this is the first story where they're pretty copacetic all the way throughout. Yeah, they have their up and downs in the past and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, they're sort of hemming hawing in terms of like where they are in the future or in the present. But I like them seeing together, and I like the fact that like they're open about their their feelings towards each other, even even though they kind of don't go don't go anywhere with it, because it's just more along the lines of it's closer to what they should be rather than where they've been. And I I do want to kind of give her props for that, but it's a, not a successful story because. It doesn't really get anywhere, and I think that like it's a little too haphazard. I think that like the last part, specifically this issue, is too it's told too fast for me to really care about what's going on. Like Batgirl is is sent to a, a frenzy and beats up the Mad Hatter really quickly. Uh, Robin's mad, but then he forgives her really quickly. You know, there's a scene in the, in the bedroom really quickly. You know, there's there's a there's a one panel of like you know, oh Ainsley, I miss her at the end, like really quickly. Like there, there's a really fast montage of you know, oh Ainsley's poor life before she died, like. None of it is really around long enough for it to really matter or hit you emotionally. Because I think that like if it, if it was given a bit more room to breathe, this would have been a really strong story. And, and, I, and I, I do feel bad for Ainsley, but like it's just not told quickly enough for me to really remember the story once I put the comic down. And I think that's a shame. I, I think that like it had potential, but its its lack of success really deadened the impact. So I kind of I kind of want to like stick up for the story a little bit, but recognize that like at, at the end of the day, it's not as good as it needs to be. And that's my final thought on it. Well, grades on this issue or the story as a whole? Uh, six out of ten nanobots. Wow. Five out of ten nanobots. I think I'll give the whole story a C, so a seven out of ten, because I think it works if you oh. We can have a little discussion. I just remembered my discussion point. Um, I think it works well. Yeah, I forgot about this. Reading this as a whole, I think things come together uh, better because if you weren't a fan of the first issue, um, as I wasn't, but then you read everything together, it, it works a little bit better. This issue itself, whoo, boy. I think I'll also say 5 out of 10 nanobots. So, uh, yeah, I brought up this, but I didn't have anyone to talk to, which was sad. But it's in regards to sort of the, the, you know, what's better, I I guess, almost, you know, single issues or reading and trade. But, and it's hard for me to, like, come up with how best to ask this question. But in reading this, I was wondering if the point of a single issue, could anyone pick it up and get a good sense of the story? Or should it, and, and, you know, many questions be asked, but many be answered, or should it only be one part of a full story and there be many questions and confusions and everything? So are you saying should um, should the book stand on its own or should, like, you know? Yes. Okay. Um, I think that a book... If it's in a multi-part uh, story. I think it absolutely should stand on its own because there was that whole Jim Shooter thing where it was every issue was someone's first. And even though... People don't get into comics the same way as they used to now. Like people don't randomly pick up, you know, like and maybe someone will write and say, "Oh, actually, I do." But people won't randomly pick up issue like seven ninety something or whatever. Um, but you know, we were talking about earlier tonight when we did the um, synopsis for the other book. Like I did not know anything that was going on with the Silver Monkey or whatever and um, Green Arrow. But because of the exposition, I was able to kind of you know get the sense of who these characters were and what their relationships with each other were. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that you can do multi-part stories, 
you know, and still make them accessible to new readers. People were doing it for centuries. It's just or centuries. People were doing it for decades. It's just everything is so serialized now. And I could get into a larger rant about the serialization of like, you know, media, especially when it comes to TV shows and how like, you know, in, in the 90s, you know, like if, if I was going to say to you, Stella, you should watch Seinfeld, you wouldn't say you would just tune into NBC on a Thursday night and watch Seinfeld. But now, like, if I was to tell you, oh, you should watch, you know, I don't know, like a show like The Big Bang Theory or whatever, you would you would not tune into the latest episode. You would say, well, I have to catch up on the first like six seasons first. Like people have been trained you know, by the serialization of stuff and Netflix and everything that they have to do everything from the beginning. Now they can't just like, and that's why we have all these relaunches too. Like it's not just with comics. It's with all media people. I said, I wasn't going to go on this ramp, but I started and now here we are. People think that they have to start everything from number one. And if they don't start everything from number one, they're discouraged from doing it. I mean, you even said earlier tonight that, um, you're just going to have to catch up on air over the summer. Like, as opposed to just like jumping in, you know, with whatever episode they're airing, which a decade ago that would have been unheard of, but that's what people do now. It's and that's how they're making media now, where everything is like there's no more like standalone episodes of TV shows. Like Breaking Bad was not a show that you just like, you know, watch any old episode in order with. I think it depends on the series in that instance because some shows, what you're talking about is serialization where they do lead to another, but it doesn't mean that like the episode that you're watching is worthless except for like the, the last five minutes unless you're watching 24 um, but, but i guess that's how people treat it though because people won't just you know watch a random episode of a tv show they'll start from the beginning each time well that's true that's true i think in this instance i mean the reason why like, like you know this conversation started is because Stella just did not like part one i don't know personally if part one had a lack of information that part two and three and four elucidated, you know, in terms of like, you know, like, like in terms of basic information, not just the whole story. Um, I think it depends. I think ultimately at the end of the day, every, each part should stand on its own. I feel that like, whether you enjoy it or not, do you have enough information to kind of go on? Or is it like, you know, Oh, you have to see the rest of it so you can see the whole thing. That is not good storytelling. I think that's like, like um, as I'm, you know, kind of writing and practicing my, like, my writing in terms of like, you know, writing stories and stuff. Like the first part of a book should be enough to hook you and make you want to, want to keep on reading. It, it should be – whether the story is completed or not, it should be a sequence of events that are capsulized in a single chapter that you know continue on and further develop throughout multiple chapters. But that chapter alone is like, wow, that chapter was great. It should be its own experience. Each, each part of, of a story should be its own experience that justifies it being as long as it is without it, it requiring that based on just length and information. So I think that, like, you shouldn't you, – you know, a story is, is plussed if, it, if it's more than one part, but each part should be – you know, everything is as good as its weakest part. And everything should be as just as engaging and readable as the, the following part. So where you really enjoy the whole part rather than saying, well, this part was good. This part wasn't so good. So I, I like some of it. Um, and I think that like uh, that's really the best way to go about it. And for the record, um, I'm not a I, – I prefer the way that you know things were where you could jump in on any part and people felt free to jump in on any part. I think that the over-serialization of everything – where, you know, parts can't stand on its own. I think that that's been very, very harmful. And it's why, you know, like um, uh, stuff like uh, it, it's why like books get relaunched on a regular basis now, because people like society, we've just gotten to a point where 
people don't feel confident jumping into the middle of something the way that they used to. Uh, I, I think that that's unfortunate. And I think that if you did recommend a TV show to like, you should try this as a social experiment, Stella. Recommend a TV show to a bunch of your friends and like, and then find out like how they watched it. If they just tuned into whatever the latest episode was, or if they felt like they had to binge everything that came before. And I mean, and I already know how that's going to go, you know, but like, but again, I think that that's sad. And I think that it's, I think that that hurts TV shows too, because people can't just like get into them. And I think that some shows would have higher ratings if people were able to just tune into them on a regular basis. But now, like, unless you've been there from the beginning or unless you want to make the investment of like watching everything that came before it from the beginning, you're not going to, you're not going to watch. Yeah. I mean, and some, like, like you're saying, I think it's just designed that way now. Cause I think about, you know, Don recommending Robotech and I didn't just watch the last, you know, I watched all 80 episodes or whatever. Even any anime you recommend is potentially just maybe 12 or 26 episodes. So you can't just yeah. watch one. You got to watch, yeah, all of them potentially. But you know, you know what, Don, though? Cowboy Bebop is pretty self-contained with the yes. exception of the, the storyline with that. His, Spike, his Spike and uh, Julia and Richie's. Yeah. But otherwise, you could potentially just hop on, and you've got your cast of characters, and they've got their own little mission. And everything. well, yeah, and I, would you agree? I, I, I would agree. I think that like not every single thing is sequential, and not every single thing needs to be seen. But like, I think that's that that is a good example because uh, those single episodes hook you in, or can hook you in, and then you'll be drawn to see to see more of them, and say, okay, there's this one recurring thread every few episodes between the main character, his his one true love, and his rival that you can kind of see pop up every now and then otherwise you're, you're seeing like adventures with ed or Faye or jet um so you're not you're not, you're not relying on when are they going to get back to the vicious storyline and I, 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 yeah and I, I, would, I would agree like you know um when a story is more about you know characters it's like it's like with btas you know some episodes are better than others and there's very little continuity in the original episodes but like you know there's a lot to, there's there's a lot of um content for you to enjoy rather than just that one episode uh backer returns where they reference a catwoman episode and a clayface episode and that's really it um well of course you know justice league was originally pretty finite uh and then later on by the time they got to jlu they referenced all the dc continuity then which was cool but like the original justice league two seasons especially the second season two they had great episodes that kind of made you want to stick around for when they eventually got to the continuity and i love continuity don't get me wrong. Like, you know, it's – I just don't think that we need to, like, experience 100 percent of something to enjoy its continuity. Like, I have not read every single Batman story and I'm, you know, comfortable reading, you know, whatever Batman book is on the shelf. And, uh, and, and I like kind of the hunt of, like, you know, doing back issues as we go along. In fact, like, that's kind of, you know, what the journey of Batgirl the Oracle was. Like, Stella was reading the current stuff, but while she was reading the current stuff – she was also going back to do the other stuff, like as opposed to like just starting her show with like the million dollar debut of Batgirl and like never reading the current stuff, you know, like, you know, she experienced like a little bit of everything, you know, at a time. Well, thanks. That was a good discussion. Oh, Look at that. Glad, I'm glad we could uh, meet your expectations. Well, shoots. Went out over to Chris for his Batman adventures. Hello, Stella. And for once, thanks for not fast forwarding. Oh, that's like a warm hot chocolate on a Christmas morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that was. What will happen in year nine of Batgirl the Oracle? Find out. Same Stella feeds, same Stella time. 
Ah, that's like finding a mint copy of Batman Annual Number 2 still on the rack when your local comic shop forgot to pull you a copy. Thank you very much, Stella. Hello, Bat fans. Welcome to the Batman Adventures Review segment. Thank you very much for downloading. And as always, thank you for not fast-forwarding. My name is Chris, and I'm very glad to be with you. And Stella, my sincere thanks and big congratulations to you on your anniversary. Salute and cheers. Today, I'm going to review Batman Adventures number 26, which was cover dated late November 1994, and had a cover price of $1.50. It would mark the third appearance of this version of Batgirl and Barbara Gordon in this title. Our story is entitled Tree of Knowledge, and was written by Kelly Puckett, pencils by Mike Parabek, inks by Rich Burchett, and Rick Taylor was the colorist. Our story opens at a Gotham University lecture hall in a Criminology 101 class taught by Dr. Morton. As Dr. Morton writes on a blackboard, he is seemingly shot in the back by a gunman, to the astonishment of Barbara Gordon and the cool calmness of Dick Grayson, as the other students don't pay close attention. Barbara is the only one who gets up to her feet, and she starts to act to get help. But Dr. Morton has gotten up, and he's seemingly just fine. (laughs) The shooting was just an act to see who in the class was paying attention and who could provide the most details about the description of the gunman. Barbara and Dick are the two students who provide the most details. Barbara provides a detailed assessment of his physical appearance, and Dick knew all along that the gun used was just a cap gun. At the end of the class, Dr. Morton gives Barbara and Dick a research assignment, sending them to the normally off-limit part of the university's special archives. But this is going to happen during the class's field trip to see the MacGuffin pistols, which, according to legend, were the twin shooters of Angus MacGuffin, who struck terror through the nation in the late 19th century. Yes, no bank, no private mansion was safe from this master criminal. In the next scene, Barbara talks to Dr. Morton in his office over her grade. She got an A, while Dick got an A+, though they seemingly have an equal grasp of the course material. And, if anything, Barbara went above and beyond in her research. Dr. Morton agrees, but states what is holding her back is that she hasn't displayed the knowledge or mindset of a criminal. Just then, an associate bursts into the office and tells them that the MacGuffin pistols were stolen a half hour ago. Barbara quickly excuses herself. She goes to Gotham City Police Headquarters, and after getting queasy after looking at a crime scene photo, she then goes to Harvey Bullock's desks, and she raids it for some information. She finds his report about the theft, and she watches a videotape of the heist. In the footage, the guns are in a glass case, and suddenly smoke fills the room, and the guns vanish. Now dressed as Batgirl, she goes to the scene of the crime, and there she finds Robin investigating. The two decide to look at footage during Dr. Morton's field trip visit with the students, and they ascertain that the guns were switched at that time, and that the fake guns concealed a smoke explosive rigged to go off later, and the reason Barbara and Dick were given special assignments were to keep them off of the field trip, as they were the two most observant students in the group. Yes, they come to the conclusion that Dr. Morton is indeed the criminal. In the final act of the story, Dr. Morton is confronted by a lackey of a thug who wants the objects that Morton stole, but Morton states that he wants to return them. Further, he came to find out that apparently that there were diamonds hidden in the handles of the two MacGuffin pistols. Then the thug and his gang come out, but so do Robin and Batgirl. Robin makes quick, efficient work of the goons, and Batgirl confronts Dr. Morton, who has since retreated to his office. 
Morton pulls a gun on Batgirl, but Batgirl says that he won't use it. Morton regrets his crimes, apparently having gotten into the head of a criminal, and he begs Batgirl for freedom, but Batgirl saying that while she's not wearing a badge, she may as well be. In the epilogue, we have a scene with Barbara and Dick, and we find out both have dropped the Criminology 101 class, and that Barbara's considering other options, like the research and analysis end of criminology, to which Dick says she may have well been the second best student in class, but she's no Batgirl. The end. (laughs) Okay, let's address the obvious first with the MacGuffin pistols, and their name. Allow me to cheat and give a Wikipedia definition. In fiction, a MacGuffin is a plot device in the form of some goal, desired object, or other motivator that the protagonist pursues. Often with little or no narrative explanation, the MacGuffin's importance to the plot is not the object itself, but rather its effect on the characters and their motivations. The most common type of MacGuffin is a person, place, or thing, such as money or an object of value. Other more abstract types of MacGuffins include a victory, glory, survival, power, love, or some unexplained driving force. (laughs) Okay, I thought the MacGuffin name was a bit too cutesy and a bit too obvious here in this story. There were other elements of the story that just didn't work for me. Why did Morton seem suddenly remorseful? How did Beckel know that Morton wouldn't use the gun on her? And as someone who studied criminology and is the daughter of a Gotham City police commissioner, why did Barbara almost get sick at looking at gunshot wound photos. (laughs) Okay, one nice detail with respect to the art. To me, it appeared that two of the students in the lecture hall looked a lot like Matt Murdock and Karen Page, but I wasn't able to find any information or any detail to corroborate that fact. If this was a deliberate cameo, it was wishful thinking perhaps on my part, but boy, they sure looked like them. While we had the same creative team here, the art seemed a little more cartoony than it did in the previous issue that I reviewed, if that makes sense. While I like this particular version of the Batgirl costume, now mind you, this is the gray version with the yellow bat insignia, with the light blue cowl, and the boots, she just seemed a little more naive in character than her previous two appearances in this title. And she didn't seem to grow or progress in this particular issue from her last appearance. I would have wished we had Batgirl and Robin take on one or two costume villains by now, or at least a villain here that was a bit more worthy of their combined efforts. Oh, I wish I could be more charitable since this is the holidays, but I'm compelled to give Batman Adventures number 26 just 5 out of 10 bats. Listeners, you have spoken, and while I didn't have my poll on Twitter up as long as I had intended... A fair amount of you did chime in, and by a 2-to-1, yes, a 2-to-1 margin, you said that you would like me to look at the Batman Adventures title as a whole, and not just the Barbara Gordon Batgirl appearances. So next month, starting next year, I'll go back and look at Batman Adventures number 1. Thank you very much for voting. And my best wishes go out to you for the holidays and the new year. Hey, look at you. You got through another year. Be proud of yourself. Hopefully the coming year will bring you fun, some challenges, but not too challenging, and I hope you have less worries and more contentment. Listeners, you can follow me on Twitter. My handle on Twitter is b2onbatbooks. You can also check out the other podcast that I'm on, Bat Books for Beginners. I co-host that with Jerry Green. Please consider supporting the Batman Universe website 
That's where you can find some great reviews and content and a lot of other family of Batman-related podcasts. If you go onto their homepage, you can make a donation and support us on Patreon, or you can give a one-time donation just by following the link on the Batman Universe homepage. Thank you very much for your support. I'd like to give a shout-out to the Sutherlands. Check out some fine podcasts of Warlord Worlds, Xenozoic Xenophiles, and Trekker Talk. Listeners, if you wish to contact me directly, you can do so by Twitter, or you can send me an email at bruce.wayne at gothamcity.us. Again, bruce.wayne at gothamcity.us. Thank you very much for your support. What Batman arch-foe graces the cover of the first issue of Batman Adventures? What two arch-criminals are vying to be top dog of Gotham's underworld? What non-costume character of our Batcast lays a trap to catch an arch-criminal, and will it be successful, or will it totally backfire? Don't fail to listen to the next podcast, where the answers to these weird, wild, welcome, wacky, whimsical waffles will be unwavered next time. Same Stella feed, same Stella sight. Thanks, Chris. Now, a very special Shipper Spotlight. I love shippers. Let me tell you about shippers. Get over your own shipping bullshit. Let, let me tell you about shippers. <laughs> get over get get over your own shipping bullshit. Shipper. I love shippers. 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 Let me tell you about shippers. Stop talking about that. Ship, ship, shippers. I love shippers. Dick and Babs. Dick, Dick, Dick and Babs. Batman and Cat, Catwoman. There we go for the shippers. Batman's married to the Joker. To the Joker. There better not be Damien said, 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 any shippers. I'll kill him. Dick and Babs. Okay, so this is not going to be a 40-minute one like Barry and I. Oh, thank and, you. And I'm not working off of notes. I'm working off of memory. So uh, uh, this is going to be a very, very experimental one. So um, Matrix Supergirl uh, and Lex Luthor, uh, two, who's actually Lex Luthor one. Do you know about uh, Stella, uh, Lex Luthor two, you know, from Death of Superman era? Probably. But you'd have to refresh, so you might as well refresh because there are probably listeners that have no idea. Okay, so 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 maybe I'll reveal this as we're going along, you know. But to to begin it, we have to go with Matrix's, you know, uh, origin, which is um, <sighs> this does get very complicated. I this is not going to be another forty minute one, but basically, you know, like uh, they just in Crisis after Crisis, they said that like the Superboy stories from the Silver Age, where he's with the Legion and everything, that those never happened. And then they realized, wait a second, this screws up the Legion's origin, but there's no more multiverse. So what they said was that those stories happened, but it was in this universe with like, you know, that the time trapper made and they called it a pocket universe because we can't have a multiverse. And that's where Matrix Supergirl comes from. This like universe where all those goofy Silver Age Superboy stories happen where, you know, like he's having sex with robots, which was an actual Bronze Age story. And uh you know, and his parents have a general store, you know, stuff like that. The Matrix Supergirl is basically a clone of Lana Lang because there was an all out war because Superboy died in the Legion of Superheroes story that like revealed the Time Trapper's involvement. So now this world has no Superboy. And when Lex Luthor, who's a good guy in this universe, accidentally lets General Zod out, he kills everyone, including that universe's version of Lana Lang. 
So he creates a clone of Lana Lang and like using what he calls a protoplasm matrix of like purple putty. And that's and that's Supergirl. So Supergirl, this is forgotten a lot. She's actually a clone of Silver Age Lana Lang. And because Lex Luthor creates her after she goes to outer space and, you know, and is exiled and everything at one point, you know, like Iris, you know, she had the body of a man. She was um, she became Superman for a while. It was really weird. Bailey loves the story. It's called Exile. Um, You should ask him about it sometime, you know, because it really is a good story. But Matrix Supergirl is weird in it and goes crazy, tries to kill the Kents, becomes a man. After that, she comes back, and the first person she sees is Lex Luthor, too, and she kisses him because it's the same face as her creator. So, you know, she's all about this guy. Um, and uh, it, he's supposed to be 19 years old, I think they said, and he's Aust- he's Australian, and he's got that full mane of red hair. If you've seen Death of Superman, you know that. And Superman's like, I really don't think you should be with Lex Luthor. And Supergirl's like, well, I'm not your Silver Age cousin. I could do what I want. And it's like, well, just don't tell him that I'm Clark Kent. And Lex is very possessive over Supergirl, like won't let her like go on missions without him and other stuff like that. And we later find out that this Lex Luthor is actually (sighs) the original Lex Luthor faked his own death, took his brain out of his body because he had cancer and put it in this clone body. And he's pretending to be his own son. Did you know that part? (laughs) This is all really weird already. <laughs> I was you lost me at the purple putty. <laughs> the purple putty is something that a lot of people have a problem with because, like, whenever Supergirl would like get battle damage, she would like turn into purple putty, and it'd be like, "Oh no, Matrix is out!" Like, you know, it was like a sign that like this wasn't your daddy's Supergirl. But yeah, Lex is pretending to be his own son, and it, it it's really weird. And if you like read stuff like you know in Reign of Superman, like. Whenever, like, you know, Supergirl's, like, not around, Lex is, like, spying on her, putting cameras around, and he's, like, yelling at people, like, where'd Supergirl go? And, like, yelling at – and Clark and Lois are, like, yeah, you know Lex was, like, looking for you and really mad, and and Supergirl's, like, oh, he gets like that sometimes. You guys don't know Lex the way that I do. But then when she found out that, like, he was using her DNA to make a whole army of Supergirls, she went crazy and, like – tried to kill him and uh and superman had to talk her out of it so that was the end of their relationship they did run into each other a few more times because um in her title um he kind of like warns her about this like ensuing threat at one point and like he's like cameos in another issue and then later on when she's like supergirl's history gets way too weird for me to even mention here but when she's just linda danvers and the matrix part of her is gone um, she runs into Lex Luthor when he's president and someone's trying to assassinate him. And she has a moment where she like she's like, oh, my gosh, it's like 955. And according to these blueprints, somebody's going to kill Lex Luthor at 1003. And then she's like, I have seven minutes or something to stop him. And she like sits down and like reads the newspaper, watches TV for a little while and then realizes, oh, crud, I got to save him. There's no love lost there. And uh but that was the end of their relationship, hot or not. Uh, pro- oh my. Yeah, protoplasm, having sex with the son of someone who you're in the body. I don't know. It's <laughs> Both of those people are screwed up to begin with. And that relationship was really creepy. And it wasn't one of the most feminist moments in DC's history because Lex is 
very clearly possessive over Supergirl and people are warning her about it on a regular basis. And like, she just always brushes it off. Like the Kents, even Jonathan and Martha Kent were like, why are you with that Lex Luthor boy? And she's like, Oh, why is everyone always being so mean about my relationship with Lex Luthor? You don't understand our love. And that, that stuff got really tiring. It's, it's not. Yeah, (laughs) of course. Yeah. Jackpot. Maybe we oh, should have done man. a shipper spotlight on Donna and the dinosaur. That might have been fun, but that could have been fun. We yeah. met. He he shoved <laughs> liquid down my throat. He left. <laughs> Every day, the Dilophosaurus gets up and goes to work at the theme park where he spits on people, and it's just like it's just the whole mundane day after day thing. And there's no excitement in his life. And then one day, he looked over at the raft, and his eyes met Donovan's as they were going oh. up. And he felt something within him that he never felt before. Excitement, no. wonder, you know, about the future. Whatever it was, he did not want that feeling to go away. So he cried out into the air, you know, like in excitement. And before he knew it, his venom went. And uh, I... <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, you got to listen. It's like we're reading that um, that weird black exploitation that Donovan likes. Oh, he didn't repeat himself a million times. That's a nice necklace, he said, looking at her necklace. Well, that's a nice thing you have, she said, looking at his thing. I call it Mr. Big. End of story. <laughs> and then af- after the moment, he saw that wrath float away and Donovan was gone. But there was always going to be a piece of him within Donovan that would live on as, as the baby. And... So hot or not? Yeah, hot or not. Oh my gosh, like, so hot. Yeah, Yeah, I thought so too. Um, Did you say if it was hot or not for... um, Not, not hot. No, 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 no no hot. In fact, like... Oh, because of the protoplasm and all that stuff. Who do you guys see uh, Supergirl? Like, who would you ship Supergirl with? Like, like I don't know her love interest besides Monel, and I don't like that guy. She, she she had a few love interests in her series. Um, that Ste- the the Peter David series um, that Stella's now uh, reading, uh, including uh, including Comet, who turned out to be um, a woman. So that was interesting too. A woman slash a horse yeah. slash I don't know many people. That was very odd odd odd. Brainiac Five. I always well. I I liked that. I I got the butterflies in my tum tum when I was watching Justice League. Oh yeah, and she goes off with him. <laughs> so it was this boy that Kara's met, and like GL and and uh, I forget who it also was. I think it was I think uh, GA were like, oh yeah, I know. Well, and in fairness too, that's a different version of Supergirl. But there's so many versions of Supergirl, and like I think Dan DiDio said that like he was. I think it was Dandy. He was like on like a Six Flags roller coaster and like it has the biographies like while you're in line of like the different Superman characters. And when it like said Supergirls like a protoplasm, you know, like survivor of an alternate dimension, you know, that was built by Lex Luthor, who later merged with a suicidal, you know, girl from a cultist. Like he looked at that and he's like, okay, we got to like bring Superman Supergirls back as Superman's cousin again. This is way too complicated. And as much as I love that version of Supergirl, honestly, he's right. <laughs> yeah, he he's right. That version of Supergirl is real complicated. But that is without a doubt my favorite version of that character. I love Matrix Supergirl, and I love the Linda Danvers, you know, like merging of her stories. I I, I love that. Well, as we start wrapping up, we're heading on into our literature recommendations. 
Uh, since I've got guests, I'll, I'll uh, let them go first. Josh, you have a literature recommendation? Oh my gosh, I've been I've been doing a lot of. I guess this is cheating because I'm not reading them entirely. I'm doing partial reading and then partial listening of audiobooks because um, now that I do Uber driving part time. When you're in the car all day and like there's no passengers in the car, you pass the time by doing things like listening to audiobooks. And I've listened to a lot. Um, did Don recommend Disaster Artists on this show, or was that a different show? No, I was I was on here when I was reading that. Okay, well, Disaster Artists, which is about the making of the movie The Room, that was a really really entertaining read. Um, I enjoyed that. Um, I also just finished um, earlier today All the President's Men, which is a look back at you know Woodward and Bernstein, two reporters for the Washington Post, and their investigation of the original Watergate scandal. I say the original as if like you know there's the there's the Alan Scott version of Watergate and there's the Hal Jordan version of Watergate, but really like that without getting too political, there are a lot of parallels with like some of the stuff, including like at one point like you know Nixon's press secretary like said the exact same thing about the like indictments that like Sarah Huckabee Sanders said like a few weeks ago. So it's really bizarre how some of the historical stuff wind up repeating itself. Um, and um, I, <laughs> I'm now listening to Game Change, which it uh, doubled down, which is a sequel to the original Game Change. That was about the 2008 election. This one's about the 2012 one. And I just listened to this really interesting chapter about Joe Biden's relationship with Barack Obama and the ups and downs of it. And it was actually it was actually nice because they did not like each other for a long time, but they eventually became best friends, just like the memes like say that they are to the point where at one point, like Biden, Obama said to Biden, you know. I never would have thought that you and I would become best friends, to which Biden replied, you never thought we would. I never thought we would either. Obama almost betrayed him by replacing him with Hillary on the ticket in 2012, but Biden dodged that, you know, bullet and got to stay on. They were going to trade jobs and Biden would have been secretary of state, but like Biden, yeah, but Biden was never even made privy to this plan. That was something that advisors were like cooking up behind the scenes. But yeah, lots of lot, lots of fun and interesting uh, books being read, and uh, I'm gonna have to load up on some more because, oh, I also read Slugfest, which was about. Um, <gasps> That's on my wish list. Yeah, that was really, really, really very interesting. Um, <laughs> and it's it. Um, if you read the Sean Howe book from a few years ago, Marvel: The Untold Story, this is a good companion to it because it gets into some of the stuff that that book didn't get into. And it gets into a lot of the DC side of things. And you really hear a lot of the dirty double dealing that these companies did against each other. And like, you know, artists who would like, you know, betray things and how pages were being leaked. Like it's it, it's really very intense. Don? Like Josh, I've, I've genuinely be, been reading uh, many more books than I, I used to. I like reading, but I didn't have, find t- didn't have to always find the time for it now i am uh not because i'm working at barnes and noble although that certainly helps but because i to be a better writer you have to be reading and writing a lot so i've read a lot of books um the black door by vilt no actually that book sucked uh whoa oh my (laughs) selling knows why um although my aunt recommends it i'll send you a good one i'm gonna send you a good one (laughs) there was like harley quinn romance stories that i was taking back uh at, at work and they were like 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 love in the form of a baby. It was it was like these like pregnant secretary romances. It was like Harlem romance, but with like pregnant secretaries. Like I don't know, I don't get this. The long walk, and I, I this is a, Harry and I did a two part end of seven, 2017 episode. We kind of just listed stuff that we enjoyed this year, as opposed to like you know the dark episodes we do throughout the rest of the year. And I brought this up that like uh, 
The Long Walk is my first Stephen King novel that I've read. Um, I read on writing that he that that book on writing that Stephen King wrote, and The Long Walk was my first King book, and I really really enjoyed it. I think that like um, it's a really strong premise. Basically, a hundred boys are gathered to walk across the country, and the last remaining one gets whatever they want for the rest of their lives, and it's the last person standing. Ooh. If you slow down uh, after. Like if you go less than four miles an hour, you get a warning. If you get three warnings, you're shot dead. And so, um, what? It's, oh yeah, it's, it's a very compelling story. Is that kind of like you know, kind of like when you say like, boys, like how old are they? Eight between ages like like, like fourteen and eighteen. Um, fourteen and eighteen. Okay, so so but, it's uh, like so it's like Jacob's age. Is that how old he is? No, he's practically twenty-one. Oh my gosh. He'd be too old for the walk, but uh, no, it's it's a really good story. <laughs> He'd be too old. So for it's the walk. like younger, younger than Jacob, older than Ben. That's what we're talking here. That's what we're talking here. Yeah, like, like Robin's psychic age, um, unless it's a pre-crisis. <laughs> but no, it's really compelling and, and it's really good. And like what it it what I really like about it is that like you know it's a believable premise. I mean it it is kind of you know this would never happen, but at the same time, it's written so realistically and compelling. Lee, that um, I couldn't put it down. I, I really recommend it. I want to try to buy it because I rented it from the library uh, and I've since gotten uh, Finders Keepers and started that. I would also recommend. Actually, what, what, what else have I actually read? Oh, yeah, The Disaster Artist. When you talk about the, Do what now? Well, also the three women working in the anime manga. Industry. I'm not finished with that yet, so I can't. Oh, okay. I have, okay. I have started that, though. Um, but I would recommend The Disaster Artist. It's a movie that's coming out. This week in wide wide, wide release, uh, directed and starred by James Franco, but the Disaster Artist novel is written by Greg Sestero, who played Mark, the best friend in The Room, which is one of the most notoriously god awful movies that's ever blighted the screen. It really is. By Tommy Wiseau. I, I don't. I'm. I'm going to guess that Stella doesn't know what The Room is. Um, well, you. We've talked about it. Like you tell me what it is. I've just never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. You can just kind of watch a review of it and get the basics, but like it is one of the most laughably bad things you'll ever see. And this novel is the guy who plays the main character was actually Tommy Wiseau's best friend uh, in the years leading up to it. So he details making the film and their relationship, and it is one of the it's not if, if not the funniest book I've ever read in my life. I was at my mom like my mom had a doctor's appointment one day, so she was in her with the doctor. I was in the waiting room and I was laughing. As hard as I could, crying with tears down my my eyes from this book, I, I couldn't help myself. It was unbelievable, and I can't wait until I see the the movie in like forty eight hours. Because uh, I heard the movie is actually really good too, but like the book is incredible. I Josh referenced it; like, uh, it's just so funny, without a doubt. And I, I, I would I would recommend that. I feel that I've, I I know I've read more stuff. Like I would recommend on writing and stuff, but I guess the Long Walk was one of the better books, one of the best books I've read. And I actually have Slugfest waiting to be read as well. I have a number of them. So, yeah, I would recommend those. I, as I warned you people, I was on a – I just finished it, luckily. Hopefully no one adds to it. My Star Wars kick. So I read Thrawn by Timothy Zahn. And this is, I guess, canon now. It's not the Legends, which I I was learning all about that listening to a podcast. Mm. But this is, it doesn't replace anything that Timothy Zahn did with his Thrawn character before, but it takes place right when the Empire 
finds Thrawn, and it's his story of like rising through the ranks and going to school and everything. Uh, very interesting and, and getting to know this guy. I read this because uh, I've been watching Rebels, and I was going to watch Rebels, then read Thrawn, but then someone said, no, you need to read Thrawn first and then watch the Rebels. So I'm still waiting for my third season Rebels DVD. I also read Ahsoka by E.K. Johnston, and this takes place after Order 66, after, you know, Ahsoka left the Jedi Order and everything. And uh, I think my favorite part of it, because you start to see her grow up, obviously, and she's on her own. And she's <gasps> Shag's her online. It's a nice... Okay. Oh, well, yeah. I see, I see, she just pops up there. Well, should we just invite him on the call right yeah. now? Yeah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> it's the anniversary. <laughs> As I'm talking, I'll, I'll type him and see if he wants to pop up. It's a nice transition to Rebels because you have the fifth and sixth brother or like the Inquisitors um, that are going after Jedis. But also you get to see how Ahsoka actually made her her new lightsabers that are white. So I think that's probably uh, my favorite part of that. Where is he? Oh, here yeah. he is. He might have a – he podcasts at this yeah. time, so he's probably I, – I read the original Thrawn trilogy like that he like first appeared in that Timothy's on first road and it talked to like – and like that and the expanded material around it talked about how like he had a hard time rising up in the Empire because there was a lot of people who were racist against him because he was a blue skinned alien. Was that in the book that you read? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, because the Empire seems like they basically just want humans well, in their leadership and everything. Yeah, and that's why throughout like, you know, the original Star Wars trilogy, like, you know, there's there's really no aliens like serving aboard the ship in these executive positions and the fan like eventual explanation for that is like because cuz obviously the real explanation is because when they were making those movies, they didn't have a bunch of people, you know, in alien costumes, you know, for every scene, but the, what they said was that the emperor was just like very very like humans first and only humans and like you know, aliens were like very, very secondary to him. Shag said that he's recording, but he says hi. Hello, Shag. Hi. And this is why Shag is not good enough to be for on BTO's <laughs> anniversary. Yet, so. <sighs> yeah. And when I was at DragonCon um, a few months ago, there was a panel. Timothy's on talking about Thrawn, and I was like, "Oh, I'd, I'd like to go. I'd like to go to that because I, I really Timothy's on is like one of the premier Star Wars authors, and like any." Star Wars fan like if you say hey which you know expanded universe book should I read you know if I want to like get a sense of the expanded universe so many people are going to say read the original Thrawn trilogy because that that really like set the template for like what the Star Wars you know universe was for a long time you know after Return of the Jedi and before the Phantom Menace came out Um, some of those books are hilariously dated now because there's some concepts in there that like the prequel trilogy like got rid of but like uh, like you know (laughs) Uh, like clone like in fact um, at the end of Timothy Zahn's second book Dark Force Rising they're fighting stormtroopers and then like the cliffhanger is they take off the masks of the stormtroopers and then like oh my gosh the stormtroopers are clones the empire is making stormtroopers clones now this has never been a thing before what will we do how will we stop them which like you know before they retcon that actually stormtroopers have been clones the whole time and like the way that they made the clones and like grew them was different in those books but uh, anyway, so when I went, I was like, oh, I'll go. And throughout Dragon Con weekend, a lot of the panels that I went to were like, you know, small stuff where you could walk in like two minutes before, you know, and like get a good spot. This Thrawn panel was the most crowded thing I was at. It was standing room only. And uh, Zom was talking about he was writing a sequel to the Thrawn novel. And apparently it was his son or someone who said, if you do a third one, then you'll have another Thrawn trilogy. And then Zom said, ooh, that would be good. But then when 
people say the Thrawn trilogy, how will they know which one they're talking about? The first Thrawn trilogy or the second one, you know? So it's interesting. But Thrawn was like one of the most beloved EU characters. So there was a lot of rejoicing when he, um, he also created in his original Thrawn trilogy, Mara Jade, who was um, uh, Luke Skywalker's redheaded wife in the old um, expanded universe stuff. Because another concept that they had in those books before the prequel trilogy is, yeah, Jedis are allowed to get married. They're allowed to have girlfriends. They can have sex whenever they want. Before, like, Attack of the Clones said, no, they can't. Like, Luke had so many girlfriends in those old comics and books who would be in, like, one book or one comic and then die. Yeah, he he was like Matt Murdock. He's like James Bond. Yeah, yeah, he was like James Bond or Matt Murdock. Like, in the newspaper strip, he had a girlfriend. And then, like... There was some girl named Callista who, like, got stuck inside of a computer, and then there was Mara Jade. And then there was, like, some Indian, like, Jedi, like, Native, like, not Native American because there's no Native Americans in Star Wars, but, like, they were basically, like, Native Americans. Like, this Native American Jedi girl named Jem who, like, died in, like, her second adventure. She was also Luke. <laughs> just like, just like, was it Thunderbird in the X-Men? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. See, that's why I, I said in the previous episode that Star Wars, the novelization seemed like a black hole that you could fall down and never find your way out. So I've been okay so far. The third one that I've read, even though Thomas said he's going to give me like the Bloodlines trilogy or something, or not Bloodlines, some trilogy that bridges the gap between um, Jedi and uh, Force Awakens. I can't remember. <laughs> You're asking the wrong guy here. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess I thought... I I, I haven't been reading the new, new Star Wars stuff, but, like, when they were publishing those, like, original Zom books and stuff in the 90s, like, a Star Wars book used to come out, like, maybe, like, a few times a year, and at the time when there was, like, less than 20 of them, I would, like, read all of them. I would go to the library and check them out, and we were making fun of, I think it was on your Facebook or Shags or somebody's, like, the fact that, like, those books all, they all had, like... Yeah, they all had this formula where, like, some rogue Imperial Admiral that, like, didn't die on the second Death Star would find a super weapon that was Death Star-esque and, like, use it to threaten the uh, – they weren't the Rebel Alliance anymore. They were the New Republic. And then, like and, – and Luke was, like, training the new Jedi. But because, like, the concept of training Jedi is different in the prequel trilogy than it is in this, it's like <laughs> – like, like Luke is, like, afraid to, like, give them, like, lightsabers at first, whereas in, like, the prequel trilogy, like, the babies had lightsabers. It was crazy. Sure. Like, I remember the book where um, Han Solo's kids got their first lightsabers. Um, that was, like, a big deal. It was, like, the fourth book in their series. They're, like, training to be Jedi, and they didn't get lightsabers to the fourth book, and one of them cut off his girlfriend's hand accidentally because her... Um, why are you laughing? <laughs> they were, like, doing, like, a training <laughs> session, and she built her lightsaber in a hurry, so while they were sparring, her lightsaber went out, so his lightsaber, like, went where her blade was supposed to be, and it cut off her hand. And she had a mechanical. No, she didn't want to get one because she didn't want to like be mechanical. So she's one armed for the rest of the series. She was um <laughs> that was the Young Jedi Knight series by Kevin J. Anderson and Rebecca Mosta. Those were those were Kevin J. Anderson sounds He's written a lot of sci fi and he wrote a lot of Star Wars. He was like the dance lot of like the Star Wars books. Oh. The final Star Wars book that I just finished is Phasma by Delilah S. Dawson. And this actually is a good place. It's sort of after Force Awakens, but it's also her origin story. It's hard for me to explain. But she's not even the narrator. It's somebody else. It's this rebel. And so that's like the present time. And this guy that's working for um, 
the first order is trying to get rid of her and uh, rid of Phasma, so he wants some sort of juicy details. And so this rebel is is talking about Phasma's origin story. So you learn about the planet that she grew up on and sort of what she was like. And now, you know, after reading this, I'm very nervous because the trailer you've got Finn facing off against Phasma. And from what I've learned, I don't know how Finn could possibly survive so that fight. But uh, it was very it was good because I I really like Phasma, even though she's only been on you know five minutes of that whole. Movie movie but i hope to before the film comes out read the comic book because i think there are four issues and that bridges the actual gap between force week and, and last jedi and then the final thing i read was legion of superheroes the great darkness saga by paul levitz and it was the expanded edition so it has stuff on the on other side of the actual four issue story but i think it was subliminal messaging because i was listening to who's who the only podcast that i listened to and they were doing legion stuff and at the there was one guy, I think it was Kyle, kept mentioning Great Darkness and how great it was. So I, there was a, day, a deal on Comixology, and I got it. Uh, politically, I am about to read Primary Colors by Anonymous. I watched Primary Colors in high school in my government class, but I'm looking forward to seeing what that's going to be like. And then The Glass Castle, but I can't recommend those until I read them. So those are, yeah, thanks for bringing some literature. Thank you for always having yeah. that segment. It's always a very enlightening segment. <laughs> yeah. And and I like the Star Wars talk. That's one of my fan that's one of my fandom itches that I don't scratch very often. Oh. Well, I'm glad we got to scratch it for you. Well, before we uh, sign off and everything, I just want to announce this contest that's coming up, and that's name the Dilophosaurus. And so if you want to, you can either comment on this particular episode on the Batman Universe or write in what do you think Don should name his uh, Dilophosaurus to be, and uh, we'll take we'll take all the names, and then we'll have some sort of voting process, and then you can pick whichever name that <laughs> God willing. <laughs> God willing. <laughs> God willing. When the Dilophosaurus pops out, um, that's what we're calling it for sure. Oh, man. Okay, well, you can send any questions or comments to batgirltheoracle.gmail.com. You can also find the show on Google Play and Stitcher. Like the show on Facebook. <laughs> I'm sorry. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, indeed. Follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And support Batgirl the Oracle by supporting TBU and subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks, Mile High Comics, for sponsoring Batgirl the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And until next Til time. next year. Fly on, Babs lovers. <laughs> Word on, Dilophosaurus lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. <sighs> I love a happy ending, don't you? Yeah, I haven't even started yet. Yeah. Even even though she uses everything. Like I listen back to those old shows and like 
Yeah, we finished you recording. You hear me go to the bathroom in one of them, and the, the toilet flushing. Yeah, really? me too. And it, no. Yes. <laughs> I don't think that's true. But there's like there's like a two-hour conversation we had after, like, I think it was like our 2012 or 2013 one, and still was like, what would you do if we weren't friends anymore? And, like, and like we're, like, being all emotional and, like, you know, being real. And like, that's, that's, and, like, that's all, like, on the show. And it's, like, not that I'm, like, ashamed or anything, but I was like, oh. I didn't realize that was for everybody, but okay. <laughs> so I'm very on guard with what I say now because I'm, I'm, I'm aware that it's going out into the world. Yeah. There you go. Okay. Well, oh, you know who popped on uh, the Batman universe last night? Her? Yeah. Yes, who popped on. Thanks for the spoiler. What? Wait, oh, wait what? <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> Impossible. Ah, uh, it was. Uh, how- how did that happen? How did you pull um, that off? So, something happened, and then I said, thanks for the spoiler. Well, actually, um, I'll, I'll wait oh, till you... I, th- I thought you meant you had the boy's like, home phone number, and I called no. him up just to... Have... It wouldn't be hard to find, but, like, yeah, it's like, he, he, he didn't tell me this, like... <laughs> it was a surprise. No, yeah, so he appears on uh, Batman Universe. And then what did Dustin say? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say what does anything. That, what does that even mean? Why do you guys keep on saying that? <laughs> Okay, so the books that are covered here are... Why isn't this file not doing this when I was reading them before? <laughs> Foiled again. I know, no, when I was reading this before, it kept on skipping to, like, the end of the file. And I'd be like, ah, and, and I'd have to, like, scroll back through to where I was. And now that I'm wanting it to skip to the end of the file so I can see all the covers and, like, you know, get the actual issue numbers, it's saying, no dice, Bertoni. All right, give it about eight seconds because I'm just manually scrolling through so I can... See the exact issue numbers. In the meantime, here's some new music from, you know, um, artist um, System of the Down. Let the bodies at the floor. That's not new music. Oh, my. Hmm. It's cool. It's your show. Pop, 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 poker face. Pop, pop, poker face. Thank you, Lady Gaga. Remember when we tried to? <laughs> when we tried to what? <laughs> when we when we tried to what? <laughs> what are you laughing about? Girls got the giggles now. <laughs> when we 
we tried to mimic um, Josh's speech pattern and how he tries to, you know. Well, he does, a, he, he, he does that thing where he talks like this and it creeps me out. <laughs> Are you talking about when I talk like this? I don't know. <laughs> Oh, it's when you two are in a room together you, you get all like it's like Stella what do you think we should do about Donovan yeah exactly it's like you guys are trying to like like lull me to sleep with your like scintillating voices <laughs> it works like you slept through that like first fanfic that we did about you a few years ago the uh, the um the, the the one where it was you and uh, I'm trying to remember what the oh you were um uh you were a princess oh yeah yeah it was the first piglet story before the gerard one that's what it was oh is that what the one it was okay <laughs> the, one, the, the one where you woke up and you're like what's going on why are you guys laughing was and it the like, digimon one no we, we, were, we, were, we were reading we said we were reading the paul dini book you're like then why are you guys laughing about it? oh yeah that was so weird because i don't remember falling asleep i felt like i was drugged and i woke up and like you guys like stella was like convulsing with laughter <laughs> And I was, like, I was like, "What's what's going on?" Oh well. And then I, I heard them the podcast, and my face was so red because <laughs> I was at work, and I was I was, I was like in, the, in like the central command, and I was like, "What? How how do I respond to this?" And I, and I was like, "I can't. It's too late." It was too late. It's too late, baby. Now it's too late. Okay. I do. You know what is interesting. <clears throat> <laughs> Dilophosaurus. <laughs> is that how it's evolving now? <laughs> yeah, I was listening to an old anniversary show, and you like went on this whole thing about how like I was a hobbit, and like that—that's a joke that like went away forever. Like it never caught that's on. Too bad. Why did I say that? Because of his feet. You okay? No, this is why you said it. This is this, yeah. Because this joke had a very very weird evolution. You know, because like all jokes with us. It starts with something that makes sense and is, you know, organic to whatever's going on. And then it eventually, like, spirals out of control. Like, how do we come up with Donovan and Piglet? Well, it makes sense if we walk you through it. But, like, out of context, it's like, yeah, how did we come up with Donovan and Piglet? So I always tell the story about Thomas Jane in those weird shoes that, like, he wore. And then, like, you would make fun of me telling that story. But then, like... For some reason, it was no longer about Thomas Jane's feet. It was about my feet. <laughs> and then, so you were talking about my feet. And then it became Hobbit feet. I had Hobbit feet. And then it went from me having <laughs> Hobbit feet to me being a Hobbit. Like, and it, this wasn't all in, like, one afternoon. This was, like, over the course of, like, a few anniversary shows. And it bled into Gotham Chronicle. But, like, there's, like, a solid few episodes of Gotham Chronicle where, like, you're, like, saying, okay, Mr. Hobbit. You know, like, like oh, you're Bilbo Baggins and you live in a Hobbit house. Like, because I made fun of Thomas Jane's feet. It's those days. I'll have to see if I can do that again. Yeah. Like, so so the, 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 when you say, is is this what the joke is now? Like, yeah, there's jokes with us that either go nowhere or that, like, evolve like past their original like well, I purpose think, shelf life i think you your clearing of your throat has existed for years yeah. back me up I, I don't know how that started or why but i thought it was really like like <laughs> she, she can't help it leave her alone <laughs> she knows what she did <laughs> yeah sure anywho That's true. Uh, regarding this story i th- do you uh, have a shipper spotlight ready? Did you lie uh, to us? Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> are we doing this? You said oh. you were going to do Supergirl and Lex. Now it is my fault because I didn't remind I, you. I, 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 don't, I don't have any notes. 
I can do it from memory. I've read the books. I mean, but I, I don't have any notes, and um, I'm kind of operating off a four hour sleep brain, so there might be some uh 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 uhs. But, uh, <laughs> uh, if you want to do a if you want to do a cold reading of this, you know, we can you know uh, some improv, an experimental shipper spotlight. Uh, hey guys, I'm okay. I'm going to go the restroom real quick. All right, so you just get started. Okay. Right back. Let's talk about him while he's in the restroom. You know what? When you're, I think that pregnant men, I guess, um, they go to the bathroom more often. It's been for two now. <laughs> he's. <laughs> do you think he's been eating more? What do baby dinosaurs eat? Baby Dilophosaurus eat probably baby uh, baby Newmans. He's been eating a bunch of baby Newmans. Baby Newmans. Yeah, which I guess like what would a baby a fig Newton or something? Yeah, a Newman zone. Yeah, he just. Downs a bottle of a salad dressing. Yeah, <laughs> and like the little label has a picture of Wayne Knight on it or something like. Because yeah. that's what the Dilophosaurus ate. Yeah. When do you think we should have a contest to name it? Maybe we should announce it at the end of this episode. Everyone has to write in and nominate one. Yeah. <laughs> and but how do we decide the winner? Do we just do the one that we like best, or do we let the or do or I guess we pick the best like ten, and then and then so of the best ten that we nominate. We then let the listeners vote in and list. I guess. Yeah. Do you think that? Do you think oh, that Donovan oh, should have? A, oh, okay. Do you I think, think that Donovan though should have a say in naming his baby? No, I don't think so. I think because well, he would probably I, name it something stupid like Cornelius. Yeah, we don't need that. Yeah, either. no, no. It's we we can't trust him with a major decision like that. No. It just just won't work. <sighs> Do you think that maybe for the next anniversary show we should have a special guest, the Dilophosaurus, like surprised on like this is your life? This is your life. What is this is your life? Is that a show? Oh, apparently you and Don are talking about like his love life without me. I found that out. You found it out. We told you. Yeah. Oh. You yes, I'm starting it. Did you feel betrayed? No, we were talking about you. Ah, I, that, we no, not 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 really, not really betrayed. I was like, hey, you know, like <laughs> this is my field of expertise. You guys better not screw it up. But I mean, it's it's not like I can be on every single like time that someone talks about like <laughs> that would be unrealistic expectations. So like, <laughs> there was that hey, what's going on feeling. But no, that that's your shipper spotlight tradition. Like it's it's fine. <laughs> my approval is not needed. No, we are not. We were talking about the next BTO contest while you were gone. Contest? Yeah, I guess you'll find out once you... Yes, there's a contest. I guess you'll find out soon. Yeah. He's like, why do I ever leave you two alone? Bad, bad, <laughs> the bad things happen yeah. whenever I leave you two, jokers. Yeah, you should probably have learned by now. So. Well, I mean, whenever I leave like, the first on the first plane ride from Comic-Con to back to Nashville, and like I see you guys, like, like, look, especially when I was in that Uber, and you guys just start cackling. <laughs> uh, uh, my, my, my forehead broke out in beads of sweat. <laughs> like oh. a Steve Dicko. What did we... I don't think we did anything to him after he left this time. No. We went to Aquatica with Ben, but, like, did we do... Did we, uh, the only, like, thing that we really, like, conspired was, like, to get Dustin to be Superintendent Chalmers, which is, the, which is by the way... Uh, uh, in nomination for the best moment of BTO this year. <laughs> it came out of nowhere. Like, why is Dustin reciting Simpsons lines? <laughs> he wondered that as well. <laughs> Remember what his wife said? Well, you agreed to it. <laughs> yeah. Like, I love just like, uh, and, and I was like, I was afraid that like this was going to be one of those funny ideas, but then like, you know, we go about our lives and forget about it, never mention it again. So that's why I tested Dustin while we were in the Uber. I was like, you know, like, I don't want this to be forgotten about. Like, I'm making sure that this happens. 
But yeah, I don't think we did anything to Don then. We just, you know. No, I think Don's just remembering that we were laughing because he got in the passenger seat with me. And then when we went to the passenger seat this year, like, like still, like, can I sit in the passenger seat, sir? Yeah, sure, no problem. And I was like, like I, my eyes like, like lowered and just like, ah. <laughs> yeah, but then what else did he say? Actually, I don't have, like women up in front. Yeah, then, then my, my, my eyes went <laughs> Oh, yeah! Wait, wait, what? Like... I was, I was like, oh, really? Is, is this guy we're driving? I'm just kidding, man. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, we had some weird Uber drivers. And then Don's like, shut up, Josh. Like, <laughs> stop complaining about the other Uber drivers. But they were so <laughs> no, you, you just, like, enjoy to take down. Because he was so I horrible. I remember the worst Uber driver was this guy who was, like, slamming on his brake. Oh, my goodness. And we were 30 feet away, but he was slamming. <laughs> And then you guys are like texting each other, like while well, you're like right next to me, like you know, like oh man, this Uber driver is so much better than Josh. Like you're, you know, Tommy was, so, or no, like like <laughs> you're Greg uh, Sestero, yeah, like you're Greg Sestero and like Juliet so from the room, like, like yeah, let's get out of here. I can't stand this guy. Like, <laughs> oh my gosh. all I said was Uber driver brakes gently. Mm, yeah, as opposed to Josh who just like okay. hits the brakes, like oh yeah, there's a car in front of me. Ah! And remember when he swerved in the right lane? Because I just, I just that car was, all was over. like that car coming behind us, like it was Bill <laughs> like and Bill from Super Mario, like from behind, like scared me to death. 